I mean, in one other show, you're going to hear people talking about women's ordination, aliens, Israelites being cast into the ground, and what that means for whether or not they're saved. Uh, maybe even the book Sleep Smarter as a Wreck. Where else are you going to find that? But hey, Internet, welcome to Mad Christianity. I am Rev Fisk, and I'm ready to go. We got a, we got a, uh, a challenge for you. Us the chill, if you are in us the chill, if you are one of those who consider yourself part of the team, part of the identity that is not about us, but about Christ for you, and getting that out into the world is what Christianity is really all about, then we have a little bit of a challenge for you. Uh, yeah, I said last week, uh, if you weren't here, maybe you don't know, I have a new book. It is a bit of a, a left turn. I'm going to call it a right turn. It's a bit of a right turn in, in the approach to publishing, but uh, I'm going to give it away, okay? I'm, I'm going to give it away. It's free. I'm going to just be delivering the content to you. But in order for you to receive that free book, ebook, yes, I can't mail you a free book. That would cost me lots of money. Uh, um, but the, the free ebook, in order for me to, to email you the free ebook in whatever format you would like to get it in, for whatever e-reader you have, or if you want to print it out, uh, then I need your email address. And to do that, you just got to sign up for Mad Mondays, which is our e-magazine, our weekly, what is it, Der Lutheraner? I mean, it, 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 in some ways, that's the aspiration. What, if you know what Der Lutheraner was, I mean, it was the go-to. Christian news, not with a bad name, uh, for a long time. And so to become that again in our epic age, that's something that we can aspire to. Uh, We can only do that by you continuing as us the chill to read and respond and help us find that data mining of truth from the internet so we can uh, arm our Christian faith with real facts as we confront our friends and neighbors about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it's made us all immortal and that kind of stuff that really matters. So that's what Mad Mondays is about. You can unsubscribe as soon as you get the book for free. I don't even care, but you got to subscribe to get the book for free unless you're already a Patreon supporter. I mean, you're going above the the color duty at that point. So uh, don't worry about it on Patreon. You'll have your own, you'll have your own coming to you. But why aren't you subscribed to my newsletter if you're supporting me on Patreon? So, <laughs> what? Um, so, <laughs> uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. You got to sign up. Go to redfist.com slash newsletter. I think, I think that's right. Just go to redfist.com and click newsletter in the upper right hand corner. It is very easy to do and you will get this delivered to you. Not this Monday, but if the Lord is kind to us the following Monday and if the world throws us Murphy's Law, which hasn't happened yet. Um, it, well, then it might be the Monday after that, but we're doing, we're doing pretty well. The book is about how to talk to your friends and neighbors about Jesus Christ, his resurrection, the fact that grace alone is your salvation, the fact that you can't die, or when you do die, you're just going to turn into like super guy for awesome immortality, and the fact that he's coming back anyway pretty quick. So that structure of the creed, if you know your Apostles Nicene or the longer Athanasian, that structure is the epicenter of the words of life that we are to preach to the world, come rain, come snow, come sun, come all the rest of it, right? In season and out, as Paul says, you know, water and, and without water, it's still the same seed that's got to get cast. So the book's about that, but not just about that. It's also about how to talk. I don't know. You might think I'm like a really good talker. I'll tell you what I am. I'm a really good performer. That's what I am. I am not a great conversationalist. I really don't think so, especially if it's like what one would call small talk. Like if you catch me in a corner and you're like, hey, Pastor Fisk, what do you think about string theory's implications for the diefold universal crystalline experience of Bob Marley? I'd be like, you know, I, I probably have an opinion on that. However, if you're like, nice weather we're having, I don't know what to do. I actually freeze. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like a, I'm like this weird introvert caught among the extroverts, and I don't know how to get away, right? So I have had to, for the sake of my job as a pastor, but also for the sake of my life as a human and my neighbors, who I hope to get to know better than I do at the moment, I have endeavored to study the art of human communication. Yeah, uh, Not so that I could pretend to do it, but so that I could be better at it for conversing with you. That's just my own goal as a human. Well, I think all of us could do this. There's a whole industry tied to this. And if you think this is sort of like some kind of pious schmaltzy stuff, you just never heard of Dale Carnegie. You know, this isn't pious at all. In fact, many people do this uh, wickedly, I would say. Not that Carnegie did. Carnegie's book tells you how to be a nice person because it's good for the world. It's it's pretty decent most of the time. Um, But people can certainly use the ring for evil, uh, especially if if they are, if they have a different spirit, a spirit that does not desire the true good of God. Uh, You should expect them to use the ring for evil at that point. But now, all that is to say that the book is about what I know about how to have a conversation now after studying it by reading a lot of stuff and talking to a lot of people so that I could learn to communicate. And then I tie that in the book also into the most simple and basic way to engage the conversation about the resurrection of Jesus with just enough lead to hope that they come back and just enough certainty in your own faith to not feel like you have to be a salesman and close the deal today because after all, it's God doing the saving. This is a resource that I pray will revolutionize the way you think about every conversation, everywhere your feet go, everything you do as a Christian, because it will put you back into the mindset of St. Paul, the St. Paul mindset. I'm not talking my congregation now, though we got one of those too, um, but I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about St. Paul himself, who endeavored to make every conversation that he was in about the resurrection of Jesus. And, and not to the exclusion of pomp and, and, and smaltzy sanctimony, it's more just about, hey, look, we're talking, and I mean it, we're talking about how Bob Marley relates to physics. I don't know how that would ever happen, but you know, Bob Marley relates to physics. If Bob Marley relates to physics, it is also tied to Christianity. I guarantee it. Why? Because our God made this world and there's nothing that he created or designed that is used by men that is not from his, uh, what? Design, uh, from his from his mind. And so Christians have something to say about all of that. And then we have something to say about those things that are not from his mind that we would call evil, that are not things, but the removal of things. It really has dawned on me in preparation for preaching Genesis 4 this weekend how the distinction between what Adam does and what Cain does is so significant in regards to the fall of mankind. So the fall of mankind, Adam does something evil with something good, right? He has something that that really, the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge that there should never be evil, and that God has said to humanity, I'm going to hold on to this and you're not going to get it. I'm going to know what evil is. You're never going to know. You're just going to know good. That was a pretty awesome thing, but then Adam misused that pretty awesome thing, and he gained this knowledge of evil for all humanity, and I think we can all agree, part Pardon my West Coast hillbilly, but it sucks. Okay, life sucks. I know you say life is good. That's true too, but it also is very painful. And we're stuck in not just pain, but an inability to understand our pain. Yeah, so that's what Adam did by virtue of reaching for something good wrongly. When Abel comes, not Abel, when Cain comes along, Cain, when Cain comes along, he doesn't reach to get more of something. He's not trying to attain something higher. He removes creation. He removes it. He kills his brother. There's, there's less, not more. So even Adam, in biting wrongly, never really removed creation itself. It, it takes his son, Cain, the begotten one, uh, to, to do that. When God confronts them about this, the difference in the questions is striking. Uh, what have you done? 
he asks, um, uh, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to get it backwards. What he asks Adam is, have you done this? Have you done this? I know what it is. I've conceived of this before because um, this would be, you know, actually the plan to save you from this. And that's election talk. That's really interesting. We're not going to go there right now. Um, so, you know, I, I've conceived this. When he talks to Cain, he doesn't say, um, have you killed your brother? He says, what have you done? I haven't conceived of this. And God will talk this way other places in the Old Testament where he'll be like, you guys did stuff I never imagined. What is that? That's evil, okay? So the reason I'm telling this story is to talk about the philosophy of evil. Evil is the stuff God didn't create, which means it doesn't exist. Now, don't go weird voodoo, you know, Christian science crud on that, you know, matrix as if it were real crap. That's not what I'm talking about at all. It obviously exists, knock on wood. It's right there. The physicists don't think it exists for some reason, but I'm pretty sure it's right there. So, so it does exist, and like, the world exists. The bad things we do are happening on things that exist, but evil is not an addition. It is not a positive sum. It is not even a, 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 a zero sum. It is a negative sum reality, okay? So evil doesn't add, it subtracts. It takes what is good and it removes the good from it. In this way then, well, I don't know, <laughs> where are we going with that? The entire reality of humanity and what Christianity has to say about everything is that we understand evil better than anybody else because we know no one's more evil than the one I'm looking at in the mirror. I just happen to be what you pagans would call very lucky. I would call it chosen because the word Christian, right? It means to christen. Uh, to christen doesn't mean to smash champagne on a boat. It does, but that's not where it came from. To christen comes from deeper uh, to, to wash or to anoint not just like with water, although it does get used that way in Eastern Orthodoxy to be connected to the, the baptism of a child. But there's sometimes oil involved and all this other kind of stuff too. Because christening, in it classically then, goes past Christ as a word and into the Hebrew word Meshiach, Messiah. And, and it really is not about, say, prophecy or any such thing. It's about one being made a king and not just about any king, but a king chosen by the Holy God himself to be the actual representation of the Holy God's kingdom on earth. It's a very unique thing. It doesn't happen to many people, but it does happen to a guy named Saul, a guy named David, stuff like that. And what happens is a prophet comes up, speaks for God. There's a sign involved in, in many cases, and he pours oil. He christens the man. He he, as God's voice, chooses, Christians, again, same word, right? Chooses the man to be king. So we're walking around calling ourselves Christians and everyone says we're arrogant. And I guess we kind of are because what we mean is that we're chosen kings. How? Not because we're so great. Not because we're so great. We just happen to get, what, picked up, elected, cho chosen again by the actual king. And the, the crazy thing is, though, he, he, this is not like we're alone in this. It's not like you're not invited. It's not like the, the, the election and the choosing isn't going out to all the world. It's that some... Uh, some will not believe. And and as to that mystery, well, again, I'll leave that for another time. I've got other videos talking about, you can go dig into election and the Formula Concord before you want to ask me here. Um, there's plenty of resources on it. It's a mystery. is what you're just going to have to buy on that one. And we know the word does what it does and that Jesus is good, risen, saving us and coming back soon, right? So we stand on that. And from there, we don't let anybody steal that from us. It's one of the big ways to uh, kind of sniff out heresy is they want to take Jesus out of the center. It's always going to happen. He just moves to the side. Um, well, golly, am I moving him to the side by presenting to you a challenge as those who have not yet subscribed for Mad Mondays? Oh. 
See that shift? Man, that was like illegal how, how fast that left turn was. <laughs> um, what we have right now is also then a goal to do something else in the meantime. Since so we have this thing called a cookie, a gift, something to give away, a free book, which is about how to talk about Jesus. And it really, I think, is the best one I've written. And these two weren't bad, <laughs> you know, um, but I really think it's the best one I've written. Um, uh, we would like to see with this cookie, this free gift, the, the, this complete giveaway, us moving from 800 subscribers on Mad Mondays right now. We're at 800 subscribers, and we have we we continually watch these numbers. By the way, to offer to those who are no longer opening the email, whether or not they would like to leave, uh, whether or not they would like to stop, because we don't want just extra numbers on the subscriber. We want people actually opening it and engaging it. We want to build a community, not just a mailing list. I mean, it really is not about me holding on to your information as long as I can. That's just ridiculous. In this world, really, there's too much information. But what it is about is creating an active, engaging news network. It's more than just news. A community of Christians, Christian people talking to each other, extension of the body of Christ in the world. No, not the, the proper goddess local church, but Christians out in sojourn engaging with each other for the sake of what our conscience is. Getting that from 800 to 1,000 with this free giveaway by you telling your friends, hey, look, I subscribe to this newsletter. I'm going to get a book. It's a short book about how to tell your friends about Jesus. I'm excited about it. You'll get it to just sign up. If half of those who subscribe to Mad Mondays, which is around that 800, did this, were guaranteed we're guaranteed to hit a uh, thousand. And what a thousand does is just kind of breaks a mark in terms of the strategy of newsletter building or magazine building, e-magazine building, which thankfully the chatter broker is well vested in. Uh, she has a history and a, a deep study of this knowledge and she tracks it daily with like really close speculations from her, her space station computer space up there, right? So it's really cool. She's checking this stuff out and she says, this will be so good for us if at the same time that we give away this amazing thing, we let it boost us into this other place in our growth curve. We're following the science. It seems to be working. Yay. What that means, by the way. I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing? How many are watching right now? Where are we at? 79. It's Saturday morning in the world. <laughs> There's a lot that goes on on Saturday morning, even post-COVID. And uh, there are 79, 78, lost one, 78 of you who have decided it's worth your time to stop everything else and let me talk to you straight up. You don't even really get to talk back. You do get to talk to each other in comments. So the community is awesome, right? But you just, like, it's all kind of hovering around, around my voice, just going yammer, 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 yammer for the whole time. Um, oh, I had a reason for talking about me yammering. And I yammered long enough to forget what I was yammering about. Uh has to do with building. What are we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's 79 of us, right? 78? 75. I just lost three of you. <laughs> what are we trying to do? We're trying to make it so that when we produce something, and it doesn't matter what that thing is, because it's lots of things, and they're going to keep being produced. And when I say we, I mean us, the chill. I mean Christians pulling together in the same direction with the media noise behind the mad Christian label, just because it's a big one we can use. And I'm willing to share it with you for free, right? Um, we're going to pull in the same direction so that everything we send out there whether it's the best we send or just a mediocre thing, and obviously we have to talk about orthodoxy whenever we're publishing something with a label on it, but at the same time, whatever we send out there, we want it to get further and further and further up into the white noise so that the channel, the brand, becomes a known quantity. Okay, When the brand is a known quantity, then more people will 
look to the brand for trust. If there is then a brand that people look to for trust, believing that it teaches them what the scriptures teach, this I would call a major win for Christianity in the present age, right? There really kind of is maybe a few in corners. What if we had one that was loud enough that people of all sorts of traditions could get behind, not because I'm going to stop giving you Lutheran answers, I'm always going to give you Lutheran answers, but because Lutheran answers sometimes apply to other traditions really well. (laughs) And it would be nice if we shared them with you without tutting the whole way and believe that, in fact, because we're right, you'll figure it out if we just share it with you without tutting the whole way. So that's my strategy here, and that's our strategy here, right, to pull these things up louder and louder to make really targeted attacks at the world. And this book, Talk Them Into It, is an incredibly targeted attack at the world. I really would like to see, I mean, let me see it this way. I gave everything that I put into either of these other two books, everything. Okay, and I wrote another book called Without Flesh, which is more important both of these for you right now, by the way, for all of you right now, Without Flesh is more important. These are maybe more like universal principle long-term. Well, Without Flesh is too. Anyway, I won't get into that. Everything that I used to try to do what these things did, which have, unless you don't like the theology, been generally well-received, I tried to put into a very, very pocket-sized book, which teaches you to tell other people about Jesus with confidence. I think I can promise you, it's not going to have amazing confidence right away, but if you read it once, you'll have more confidence than you did before. And if you read it again, you'll have yet more. Okay. Now now follow this, follow this. So if this works, what'll happen is you'll tell people about Jesus after you read it. Like that's the idea. Like I am planting what in sports trades would be a poison pill. Okay. Now, poison pill in sports trades is you're trying to send away like a monetary package that's going to drag your opponent down three years from now. Okay. Well, that's what I'm doing to the devil. <laughs> I don't, I really do. I want to plant within Christianity at its most substantial and pop level, at the most, most foundational level that we can find, a very easy resource that anybody can pick up and use. And will, it will make them talk about Jesus by the time they're over because that's what the Word of God does. And when that happens, they're then going to tell that person about Jesus. And if that person learns about Jesus, they're going to tell that person about that book. And if that works, if the Lord blesses this, what's going to happen is you're going to hear yourself and others in your church talking about Jesus when you're at church. Not the weather, maybe the weather, maybe also the weather, but also about Jesus, about the psalm you just found that you want to share with people about the text you were studying at home and how it applied to what just happened in your prayer life, you will find yourself talking about Jesus, which is what Christians used to do. That's the gambit. And I think it's pretty cool. I mean, it's all the will of the Lord. It's all based on, you know, my, my, my belief that the word does not return void. So, you know, I can't imagine. We've lived through a century plus of orthodoxy, heterodoxy, heresy, all wrangling with each other. And if you looked at it and you were trying to say God wants to build a big, big organization on earth, you would have to say his word has returned void. Like you would have to conclude that at this point. Like, or you're going to Rome and really hoping that that Benedict is... I don't know. I mean, because Rome's changed so fast. So, you know, what do you do? What do you do? How do you believe that the church of God is in fact one unified, total, complete, and salvific without then believing that it only exists in one small little place like, say, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the LCMS? 
not to throw them together entirely as if we're the same boat because we're not. Trinitarianism goes a long way. Uh, but but so what's the unifying reality? Who's the Savior? Where is he? Is it only amongst the ultra-pristine Orthodox that the Spirit blows? And I think not. I think not. I, I think the Spirit blows wherever he wishes, as, as Jesus says. But now Jesus has told us that is wherever this Word of God is. So where there is a Bible still... It has not been so divested of the Trinity as, again, the JWs do with their own Bible. So I, I don't know that I can speak to that one. Per- I can, but I'm going to speak negatively to that one. Um, wherever there is a, 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 a goodwill, honest attempt <laughs> uh, to translate the scriptures in the name of the triune God, and you have it, and you're reading it, that's where the Spirit is. Now, can you bring your own spirits to that? And, and deceive yourself? Absolutely. This is why the history of the confession of the saints, the martyrs who went before us, and by martyrs, I mean those who witnessed, those who testified, those who just said, this is what I believe, this is my conversion, this is why, this is how it goes. And not, not a testimony like up front in church, but people who then went on and studied and left behind us. I mean, Luther's sermons alone are just an incredible catalog of growth in the faith, right? The resources that are out there from the past to fight against the present, which is always trying to trick us into finding something new. As if there really were something new. Talk them into it is not going to be about something new. There is nothing new in this book. It's, it's quite um, old and surprising. Like, why don't we know this? And in some ways you do. You're going to be like, I know this already, but oh, wow, I don't think about it enough, right? And so, so it's, it's that war. It's that fight. Again, the challenge is, hey— Friends, neighbors, countrymen, I read Mad Mondays because I am a Christian, and that in fact makes me crazy. But you'd be amazed what crazy people can find when they're looking. And so this newsletter gives you all these amazing things you can find, and in a week and a half or so, it's going to bring you a free book. And since you are a Christian and you care to know about talking to your friends about Jesus, and maybe in the past you've always done so in a way that made you feel guilty— And so you're so sick and tired of it, and you just don't want to feel guilty anymore. Then this book's also for you, because you're not going to feel guilty by the time you're done with this book. You're going to feel so good. You're going to be like, God is awesome. Jesus is king. Trust me. I mean, trust me. It's free. What can you lose? It's free. Help me give it away. Help me give it away. Mad Christianity, we'll be back with your questions. And, uh, well, my answers, God's answers, uh, we'll make an effort both ways in just one. Can I find it? Where's the one? Where's the one? Where's the one? It's not there. Well, this is embarrassing. We'll do it this way. All right, so I just noticed Darth Mix saying, you know, anything but email, anything but email. You know what, dude? Me too. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I hate email. I avoid email at all costs. At this point, I'm down to once every two to three days, and nothing's blown up yet, but I've had to very slowly move, you know, communication to other, other places. So I'm with you. I have a website, refis.com. Patreon, if you subscribe to me at Patreon for a very small price, five bucks a month, you'll get this for free there. And so forth. But here's the other thing. Like, dude, you're talking to each other. Give it away. <laughs> We're giving it away free. I want you to help me to get people to subscribe to the newsletter because it's good for Christianity and it's good for the world if we have more people involved in that, right? I need you to help me do that. And then turn around in your PDF copy, give it away. I think it says so in the front of the book. <laughs> give it away. I don't well, – I mean there will be – there will be paperback copies available on Amazon and I will receive the proceeds from those paperback copies, right? So that's awesome. I think the Creative Commons license, you could actually go and make your own paperback copies and sell them if you wanted to. I'm fine. I think that'd be mean. But the thing is, if you didn't change the book and it still taught what it taught about Jesus, then I wouldn't care because the point is not for me to get proceeds. The point is what I said before. This book is going to make you talk about Jesus just a teeny bit, bit more. 
And, and you're going to want to do more of it. And you're going to read the book again. And then you're going to give the book to somebody else. And then it's just going to get everybody just talking about Jesus just a teeny bit more. And as, as that happens, rising tide lifts all ships. So, so give it away. It's the gospel. If you want to buy a nice copy on paper, I'll provide that for you. Yeah. Um, but the content is, the content's free. Okay. We're going to go try to shift gears to this spot. And um, I think that's from last week. Oh, I know. I didn't get over here. You're watching nothing, and I'm watching my mouse attempt to hover over something that it won't hover over, and it keeps going away. All right. This will be a 30-second boring. And sadly, I can't go to a break because I have to be on this screen to fix this right now. All right. Show overlays. There we go. Hide that overlay. Do that. There we go. Got to talk myself through it. The world will not end. Was that a meteor? Score. All right. (laughs) Thank you for your patience. We who are about to uh, die salute you. Here we go. Daniel says this this week. Hi, Pastor Fisk. I have a question concerning 1 Corinthians 7, 8. What? Wait, what? What? Sex right away on Saturday morning? No. Golly. Kids, hide. It's not that bad, really. It's it's pretty important. Talking about marriage is incredibly important. And if you don't talk with your kids about marriage, um, you need to. <laughs> uh, sex is part of talking about marriage. And the birds and the bees technically is like the least important part of talking about marriage. It, it, it is important. It will come to play largely as they get older. But while they're young, they definitely need to be talked to about what marriage is, the value of marriage, the value of life, the value of singleness, uh, all this kind of stuff, because that's what this is going to be about, that humans are made to be free, not enslaved, and that the gospel teaches us this. And though the law still will be our tyrant, according to the flesh, we can also look at it differently. Uh, we can see it as a, a junkyard dog tied up in a corner, keeping us from going in the wrong direction, but at the same time, impossible to actually harm us. And that's that's the big shift you got to take in all the way you talk about the created order, all the way you talk about the law. The law is not a bad word, even though it does kill you, but the killing, the mortification is the sanctification. That's the good thing. So totally distracted there. How about I drink more coffee and that'll slow me down. You have a question about 1 Corinthians 7, 8. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. ESV, St. Paul. If I understand Paul's position correctly, says Daniel, this means that Paul wants everyone to be able to exercise enough self-restraint to remain single. My question is, how would the church continue if everyone was single? (laughs) Uh, I, uh, I don't think that a lack of children due to no one marrying should ever be a legitimate concern. As I don't think everyone will fit the description of self-control that Paul gives until we are perfected in Christ. Yeah, you answer your own question pretty much. Uh, but I think it is an interesting idea to consider. It is. You're right. It's an interesting idea to consider. Completely agree. Thank you and rock on. I will do my best to you as well. Um, first, overview of 1 Corinthians 7 without going into the details. I mean, it is a nitty-gritty kind of – you talk about left turns and weird right angles. Um, it's It's a – it's a challenging text to navigate, and in the Greek, it's even more challenging. There's missing information in the conversation to some extent. This is a debate, an argument between Paul and Corinth, where it just it appears that he's speaking with some very specific things in mind, and uh, he also um, has this little trick he's doing, where you know, from me, from the Lord, stuff that goes on, and that just makes it. I don't know. I, I think I think you have to tread a little more carefully in this text, especially not come out of it with any kind of radical prescriptions for people, such as the idea that Paul actually wants everybody to be single because celibacy is like the real thing. Now, you can make the argument that celibacy is the real thing in paradise and that we will neither be given in marriage, but we'll be like the angels. But then again, I'm not sure that that's quite the same thing as, um, 
as what celibacy would be now. And I'm not entirely confident that God doesn't just have a radically ultrified universe that we can't imagine. So whatever that means, um, I'm not going to limit God's creation of the new world. But what I am going to do, you know, whatever he makes is going to be awesome. And look, I can prove it. If in fact, come on, come on. We're not going to eat cows in heaven. I don't think we will. And I think we're supposed to now, as part of our diet at least, and and, um, and we're not going to eat cows in heaven because we're not going to be killing cows in heaven. So how are we going to get hamburgers? And I'm fully okay with this. I know you're not, but I'm fully okay with this. I'm okay with the fact that the cow poops and we cook it and it's a hamburger and it actually tastes like a hamburger and that's what God made. And it's awesome. I'm cool with that. Why? Because whatever God says paradise is on the day of resurrection, it's going to be fine. I'm not worried about it anymore. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Like to worry about heaven being weird is such a faithless fear. Sorry, it's it's, it's not faithless. It's a little faith fear, though, right? It's like a childish fear, and we got to go past these things at some point. And then worry about the things uh, that, that really matter, which is, again, how do we live in the present age? Because we can, we can philosophize and speculifize about uh, you know, the future paradise and what marriage will be like on one text Jesus gave us uh, in an argument with the Pharisees where he's just like backhanding them. And then he's like, well, I know, be careful when you, you – whose Lord is the Christ? You know, don't, don't try to teach Jesus, right, is, is, is kind of the point here. Um, so uh, what is Paul really getting at here? Is he trying to say that celibacy now is the ultimate thing and we should all pursue it? No. No, no, and no way. You'd have to ignore everything else in the, te- in the text to say that. Is he saying that if Christians fully understood their own enlightenment as Paul does, that celibacy would be something we could all be fine with? I think you were spot on the way you said that there. Does that necessitate it would be a better thing to do? No, he never says that at all. Because Paul speaks very proudly, eh, proudly of procreation regularly and, and declares that it's one of the key parts of what makes marriage marriage is the, the, the at least the potential, the created design of procreation. Even if it's broken, it was the parts that were made to do the thing, right? Um, th- that reality, Paul is very pro and he would have, he says in other sections, widow, wid- younger widows, I would have you get married. That's what he says. I would have you get married and bear children, he says. Oh man, I'm gonna go crazy now. Hold on. I found a Bible verse this week. It's, I, I don't know, pastors. How often do you find this one? Right, so, like, you, you often are find things you don't know in Bible verses. So, you know, you'll be in, what, Ezekiel somewhere. And go, I didn't know that about how all this worked out down underneath. But you kind of kind of knew, like, it didn't change anything, right? And I would say this one changes anything for me. The change already happened with Psalm 127 years ago, but it took took a while. And if I'd known this verse was here... I don't know. It, it, well, I wish I had. I know it now, and I want to share it with you, because it's just such an amazing thing to find in your Bible. Oh, that reminds me of another story. Um, I remember hearing a story at seminary of a—oh, uh, it's just terrible, though. Um, it's sad. you got to pray for this. This is not to, like, degrade anybody. This is so that we would pray for the health of the church. Um, a wife at a wives' Bible study for seminarians, reading through the texts that talk about male headship— and exclaiming out loud, what is that doing in my Bible? <laughs> uh, yeah, what is it doing in your Bible? You should ask that question with some real seriousness, because um, it's there, you know? uh, as opposed to it shouldn't be there. Uh, and that, that shift, that was the one that did it for me. Once I realized I had to stop saying it shouldn't be there and start saying it's supposed to be there, I'm wrong. How do I know what's truth now? That's what shifted everything about gender for me back when I was a lib, way, way, way back. And by lib, I mean... I don't think I would have gone for what they're saying today. Back then, it was just women's ordination is okay. You know, something something dumb like that an eighteen year old would say. So, 
and, and those who never grow past it. <laughs> oh, did I say that? Yeah, I did. Uh, whatever, the Bible. Um, sorry, like, I'm not going to let the scoffer get mad at me and tell me I have to be nice to him. Uh, so Ecclesiastes, I love his book. I'm going to spend more time in this book in the future. Um, but Ecclesiastes 11.2, I just, I just didn't know it was here. And that's amazing to me. It, like This is just blew my mind. Give a serving to seven and also to eight. For you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Now, if you want to go look it up and think about it, that's great. Because it's clearly, you know, proverbial. Yeah. Uh, and so that means it's not really meant to be read fast. And it's not meant to be talked fast the way I talk. It's meant to be thought on, reflected on, translated, elaborated on, returned to. Why would you give a serving to seven and also to eight? You're supposed to set two extra places at the dinner table every night if you have six people in your family. You had four kids. Is that what that well, – why would they do that? It's kind of weird. Is it about hospitality? I don't think so. And what, what really kind of brought it all home was the fact that we have gone through COVID as we have and realizing that you just back 100 years before antibiotics um, – you have seven or eight kids in your lifetime. You have three kids, maybe two, maybe four, sometimes seven. That's what it says. Give a serving to seven and also to eight. For you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Of all the arguments I've had about the stewardship of not having children from both radical, radical anti-humanists who want to sterilize women uh, and are out there advocating that for America, uh, 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 Savage was his name, I believe. Um, and uh, the difference between that and then uh, the side which believes that life is always a gift will understand that the chances of losing humans is always there. And your question, what goes on, what happens when we don't bear children applies less to Christians and their singleness. Would that a few Christians were at our, let me say this. Would that those upon the campuses of Christian colleges across denominations were in fact a modicum of chasteness uh, with regard to real marriage and the bearing of offspring and the good of the human race and giving a serving to seven and also to eight because we don't know what evil will be on the earth. Imagine, maybe, maybe you're supposed to have so many people so that the pandemic can't knock you out. Maybe it's not that the pandemic comes and knocks you out when you have too many people. Maybe that God makes sure you have enough people so when the pandemic comes, it doesn't knock you out. I've always wanted to write a, not always, I've recently, and I won't, wanted to, so you can steal this one, wanted to write a, a sci-fi book. What's that, um, there was like a TNT TV show. Now, I'm so anti-TV now. I can't, I can't remember. But it was, it was about – I think it was TNT. I watched it on Prime or something. Um, and it was about an alien invasion and you know Americans kind of having to band together. We totally get walloped and destroyed, right? And so now you have just kind of well, – what hillbillies again. You know, wherever you are, get together. Let's form a militia and survive as humans, right? It's like a post-apocalyptic dystopian alien invasion thing. It was really, really good. Um, I can't remember the guy. The main character was very, very compelling. Uh, the character development over the seasons was good. It's, it generally moved in a positive direction as opposed to Walking Dead, which moved in a negative it, uh, 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 it didn't even it stumbled into death and why would I watch anymore? Um, but but uh, this one I wanted to watch more and I never got back to the last season. I, I watched all the way up to the to the season before the last season. In any case, 
there was even a reason I brought that up. There had to be a reason I brought that up. Oh, yeah. So to take that idea, <laughs> take that idea of that show, humans having to survive in a post-threatening world where we're fighting and on the move all the time. Robots, whatever. And we're not having enough kids. And the kids are dying too. What ha- and then and, and take, take the story, just jump ahead a generation. And you're the generation that's only like one kid for every four families. And having to th- figure out how to keep your children alive and keep the women fed and not let the women die because they're more valuable than the men are. Wouldn't that be a fun story? Be a great movie. Man alive. Christians, we can do, the, the stories we could tell if we knew what we knew. We don't even know what we know. Golly. We've been harping against children for like, I mean, Christianity, American Christianity, clearly in the name of Christianity has been, has been spreading birth control throughout the world for a, a century. And then we're like, what happened? <laughs> it's just so, okay. Paul is not a, against procreation because procreation is just part of reality. You want to talk evolution? Let's just cut the religion for a second. Come on, skeptic, bring it on. We're just talking species right now. We really want to survive, and I'm going to hold up my argument. Maybe we need enough to survive the pandemics, not the other way around. Maybe we need more kids because as much as the antibiotics are working for the moment, they might not always work that well. Maybe we need to make sure the species is strong. And I'm not talking the eugenics that the fascists will bring back whenever the fascists do come back, whether left or right. And there's both sides, I believe. They want to do this kind of, we're going to purge the, the human uh, race of all the weak ones, right? We're going to make the lizard people elite rule forever. Um, no, that's not really what I'm talking about at all. I'm simply talking about uh, standing upon the conviction of your immortality again, uh, to believe that marriage is what marriage is made to be. Uh, not because, not only because scripture says it, but because you can have the clear eyesight now See, that's how it works. That's how it works. I got 50 geese out in my back lake the other day. There weren't 50 at the start of spring. And they didn't make more by having the two guy geese get together. Why are the geese taking over my lake? I mean, that's an issue. Is it imbalanced? I don't know. That's an issue. That's the kind of thing man needs to figure out. But to believe that procreation is part of what it means to grow and to exist. Forget the word evolution. Just just the, the constant sustaining of what is now. Yeah? And to reject that, to try to cut that off uh, intellectually of our own species, to be a culture of human death. Uh, well, that is the lie, is it not? It always has been the lie. And so, Christians, why are we surprised? And I'll, I'll, let me go this direction on this one. Rather, I mean, that, that might have been a little gobbledygooky, what I just said there. But we got to, I've said this before in different ways. I'm going to say it just a different way today. Like, look, the spirit of God that's in you is not the same spirit that's in the unbeliever. Like, you're possessed by the Holy Spirit. They may or may not be possessed by a demon. Let's not worry about that right now. But you are. You are possessed, not by a demon. You are possessed by the Holy Spirit. You are Christian. You are chosen. You are a believer. The only way you can say, I believe in Jesus, is God has made you a believer. And if you want to say, well, I did that, well, then you're a jerk. <laughs> and get on the team with Jesus saying he did it. And let's go fight, right? Let's go fight. In that fight, in that certainty, we can then look at this present age again with a very clear mind. And not be caught up in whether I did it right or whether I was good enough, whether my shame keeps me from seeing. I can simply believe God said it. And then when I go and I start to apply what God said to what's out there, it's out there. Christians can beat the junk science of evolution without having to do answers in Genesis. 
They just have to think. And they have to believe that what they believe in the scriptures is in fact there. That when Darwin looked back so far and saw so much of history and said, well, it must have been like this, his perspective was like this, and that the universe is not even like this, is significantly larger. So there's no point in history, none, where you can say there can be no more knowledge, because your perspective can't possibly attain it all. Huh? And that can get into some really interesting arguments about, uh, you know, it gets a little bit back to Occam's razor. Um, I think it's Occam's Razor. I've, I've misplaced that before. It gets a little bit back to uh, the odds of the resurrection of Jesus. I, I won't chase that now. Let's bring it back to procreation. Then. So the Lord has created all these things to work as they're supposed to. Paul says now, as Christians, as Christians, with the understanding of grace, try to pursue the good that's been revealed in Scripture in the belief that it will flourish in practice. It, it may not, to your emotion or your mind, look like it will flourish in practice. I'm not talking Levitical codes, dear heavens. I'm talking yes be yes, no be no. I'm talking word and sacrament. I'm talking Ten Commandments as general what we do to each other, right? So um, don't go crazy and think the Bible's a rule book for life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about believing that when the New Testament surpasses the Old Testament by the fulfillment of it, and then says things like, Outdo one each other, outdo one another in showing mercy to each other. I don't think what he's saying is so you can be arrogant. <laughs> I think he actually envisions Christians really caring, not being afraid of each other. Huh? I mean, what, what a crazy thing, right? But in a, in a culture of shame, in a hierarchy of uh, status, which is very much the American game, Uh, it's hard to not fear the one who might knock your status, right? Status is a zero-sum game. That is, in order for me to go up, you got to go down, right? But uh, love, that's a positive-sum game, right? In order for me to go up, you have to go up. For love to be, both have to at some point. Well, that's not quite fair, for God can love even that which never loves in return. And so Christians can too, but that's unique. That's very unique. Um, Again, Without, you know, quibbling on my analogy, uh, love is a positive sum game. Uh, it is always going to produce more. Even if the immediate response is not more, it will produce more. Because to respond in evil to evil is to continue the cycle of evil. And Christians have enough grace to be just like their Lord and suck it up on the cross a little bit and say, I don't have to respond in kind this time. Today is the day of salvation. And it's not about what you do. It's about knowing you're saved. You're immortal. You're paid for. You cannot die now. Now, apply that to marriage where you are. And that's what this text wants you to do. The whole text, it just wants you to take what I just said and apply it to marriage where you are. And let me just tell you, we need Ecclesiastes 11.2 like nobody's business. You don't even know how susceptible not only Christianity as a human culture is, but for the grace of God right now, but Human culture on the planet is really not in a good spot uh, in terms of production of humans. Uh, We are already geared to turn the negative invert on the mountain uh, in 2050, I believe, was the the number that the census data showed. Not the most recent census. This is older data. Um, And uh, I'm by no means an expert in this. In any case, 2050, the 
peak population of the planet will, will peak and come down, but we've already surpassed the production of more people that could turn that or even level it. Does that make sense? So we're, we have already had the people that will be here in 2050. You can't make more people that will be here in 2050 that are not a different generation or younger, right? And so that age demographic, which is uh, an inverted pyramid with more older people on top, is going to take that to the top, and it's going to be a spike peak drop that'll start flying the other direction. And the science of it is we're not going to be able to turn it around. Like there is no way that the whole planet turns that thing around. There could be groups of Christians who in their small towns where they live have kids and become healthy, thriving towns in a world that's struggling to survive. And forgive me for being apocalyptic. I don't even think that's apocalyptic. I think that's just acknowledging that the Middle Ages happened and could happen again. And I don't know why I would think they wouldn't. Because I believe in original sin. <laughs> if I say, we're going to change, change directions. Thank you for the question, Daniel. I think I answered it. If I say that I believe the Democratic Party is bought and paid for, then people who are Democrats will scream and rage that I'm a liar. I'm a slanderer. I'm not putting the best construction on it. Things like that. Like Lutherans, pastors, that kind of thing. Friends, family. If I say that the Republican Party is bought and paid for, Republicans will go, hmm, maybe. Don't want to believe it. And the spirit that is in you is not the spirit that is in the world. Money talks. You think this country is free? You think there is not an elite having an inner battle about their own little personal culture super billionaire circle right now? All this is them. Marx wasn't all wrong. He's wrong about a lot of things. What's wrong about that? That man uses what little authority he has that he can muster to take from other men, not their allegiance, but to force their submission in order to divert risk from himself. This is all based upon trying to decrease your own risk of death. And so men trying to decrease risk of death and increase the chances of procreating with women of virile nature, uh, they began to transfer their risk to others by submitting them to themselves. That is, uh, whether it's by the sword, I'm going to make you work for me, uh, or whether it's uh, by the paycheck. You know, here's your 10 bucks an hour. It's better than the seven you were getting, so be happy. <laughs> you know, slave. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, the power by which men then transfer their risk to you so that you absorb it over time separates them enough from the masses that they don't know who the real masses are. And then over time, they increasingly, separating their risk from the masses, tighten and tighten their little inner circle. And I'm not talking Illuminati. I'm just talking Harvard graduating class names kind of stuff, right? Like just the, they're just the frats of the frats at the very top. They're the royalty that doesn't call themselves royalty. And you can get in and out, but it's a lot harder than you think. Back in the day, you could become a baron in a lifetime from a merchant status. It could, could happen, right? Well, we're just we're actually right there. The thing is, I don't even care. I'm not even bothered by it. Like, you know what? Frankly, we're still the best country there's ever been on the planet. 
in terms of lifestyle and freedom and all that kind of stuff. So let's try to keep that. But the thing is, at the same time, we could realize uh, we have the tools to stop them from doing some of these things. But we haven't, and we won't because we'd prefer to just be fed the drug of TV. Um, so that, that's what it is. Whatever. I'm still fine with all of that. What I'm not fine with is Christians then thinking it's something different. I'm not fine with Christians thinking that this is about the salvation of the planet or about whether or not we're going to stand or fall. I'm not comfortable with Christians being more aver- more capable of sloganeering for Trump or <laughs> for Kamala than for Jesus. We shouldn't be sloganeering for anybody more than we are for Jesus. And if someone wants to say, Pastor Fisk, sloganeering for Jesus, that, that makes it sound trite. Are you, are you serious? Like, really? Do you know what words are? Do you know what, do you know what letters are? It's all symbols. Everything is symbols. I speak to you in symbols. You see and interpret symbols. So if we don't have unified symbols, our message cannot be heard. That's why Coca-Cola doesn't change its logo. The brand matters. The brand matters. And frankly, the brand should not be uh, you know, a little mad. What's over here? Where, is it? Where are we at? Where are we? This is not the brand. Where is it? It's not, I can't even get there. This is not the brand. The brand is that he is risen. You are paid for. You cannot die now and he won't be long anyway. That's the brand. Put it everywhere. You know? Uh, will there be a sign in my front yard that leans toward voting red in a blue state? Probably. Maybe several. Uh, I'm not going to pretend for a second that matters nearly as much as getting me to talk about Jesus more. Me. I do it all the time. Lots of people I don't know. Mm-mm. But but I could. How? Be friendly. I got a book about it. You can read about it. Talk them into it. It's free. Um, I'm going to go over here and go back to your questions and, well, answers that may or may not apply. <laughs> Depends. Here we go. Because we didn't get distracted at all by that other one. From sex to aliens. Good morning, friends. Um, by the way, I don't know. I don't think I've seen any super chats this morning, and I don't mind. I'm just, if I, if there are any that I miss, please let me know in some way. Ooh, what just happened there? I didn't know I could do that. There we go. So, uh, Becky says this. If the existence of aliens from another planet is confirmed, how does that coincide with Christianity? Yes. Um, because nothing that God made won't coincide with Christianity. And that's so true that there's an answer. You just have to look for it long enough to find it. That's my real answer, okay? Now, I can, I can tell you where I've kind of gone trying to live out that which I know to be true, which, let's go secular again. I know there is a designer. I think this is, a, I don't know, I think. I, I know there is a designer. I know this is a mathematical possibility. When you make a designer a mathematical possibility, it becomes a probability. And this is deep math. Um, we can do this another time. I hope to write a book about it, actually. But uh, that's, that's, that's a little deeper. We're not going to go there. Okay? So, but the idea that there's a designer is mathematical knowledge. It is fact, not guess. You don't have to call it God, right? But you, you're, the evolutionists have to talk about design. So there is design that exists. What is it? It is the progress of the universe toward order. Okay, fine. That's the designer, right? You just have a really weird, non-personal designer. You're, you're an old school deist, and you just hate the father of Christianity because of whatever family upbringing you had. Or whatever in, you know, cult tr- mistreatment you had. And I get that. Like, I don't want to mock that. But then don't, don't tell me that this is about how, you know, God doesn't exist. I mean, no, no, he does. And mathematically, he does. And it's just, it's just there's no question. So uh, 
if the existence of aliens then is confirmed, then because God exists, he would have had to have created those aliens. Take it out of the God language. Put it, because design exists, then those aliens would have been designed. And now here's my gambit. I mean, if Christianity is in fact true, because Jesus is in fact risen from the dead, then God did that if we found that. Like if they show up, God did that. It doesn't make Jesus not risen from the dead. He's still risen from the dead. There's aliens. So evidently there's an answer. What is that answer? Do you go to Jesus, you know, I I have other children that you do not know about. When he ascended into heaven, did he in fact fly through space for a while somewhere else and then go to the cloudy right hand of the Father? I don't know. I mean, Christians, like, we, we shouldn't speculate that kind of thing as if it were the answer. And like we know it and we've dogmatized it and you have to know that answer. But what we should do is believe there always is an answer. It, it, I mean, what spirit's in you? Again, right? Like, he has an answer. So, aliens. If you haven't read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, Out of a Silent Planet, Paralander, and That Hideous Strength, sometimes called That Hideous Length, and yet actually the best one, but... Honestly, here's here's your schedule. If you want to do this and you're like a 21st century digital boy, you're not used to reading like real meat, um, start with the second book, Paralander. Read it once. Read it twice. Read the first book once. Read Paralander again. Then read That Hideous Strength. And I think you'll love it. But you got to go slow and let it build up steam. Paralander is the shorter, more compact thing that opens up why. But yeah, yeah. You can even skip the first one, honestly. But... There's okay with okay stuff. Anyway, there's in in it, he imagined aliens from a Christian perspective. And so if you want an answer to this question and and you don't just want me, you know, opining at you, go read his stuff. Like his his pondering of the potential of aliens is really quite fascinating from an era where they didn't know there was no atmosphere on the moon kind of thing, right? Uh, And so his he didn't have to go as far away to imagine aliens. Uh, You know, little green men could just be, you know, behind the the dark side of the moon or whatever. Well, I guess they still could be. But but um Never know. Transformers might be there too. <laughs> uh, uh, he just didn't have to go as far, but he, he what he plays with intellectually about could it be? How would it be? What would it look like if it were? And Christianity were still true. You just do yourself a favor and read the, those first two books. Will be about that. The last book is about what's going on in our country right now, and every country ever actually, and every institution ever, uh, and uh, and how the demons just. Uh, uh, they're, they're the beast. And anyway, <laughs> it, it's worth reading. It really is worth reading. Um, so now for my answer, I'm going to first say, I don't believe aliens exist. Okay. I don't, I think that on the 50, 50 coin toss, it's not a 50, 50 based on what the Bible says. I think it's more like a 85, 15 kind of, kind of thing. No aliens. Okay. So I don't believe there's aliens. Depending on what you mean by aliens, by the way, I'm I'm pretty convinced there's all sorts of aliens doing like the Star Trek style observing what's going on. In fact, no prime directive having a war among us. We just can't see them. We call them angels and demons. But see, that's not what you mean by aliens, right? That doesn't count. Well, I even proven that don't count. Okay, okay, okay. It's gotta be on spaceships. Gotta be materialistic aliens. Okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> So that's what I'm talking about. I don't believe in uh, materialistic aliens. But if there were, there's a species of of hominid. Hominid is that right? You know, up, upright walking uh, uh, beings of sentience. Maybe they're they're lizard faced with wings. I, I don't know, right? But they fly on spaceships made of whale guts. I, I don't know, and, and and they can they can pierce space time, and they're super fast, and all this kind of stuff. Like the stuff we've been seeing flying around, which I think is more likely to be angels, but uh, or demons actually. But um, uh, 
the stuff flying around that's been captured by NASA. You can Google that, uh, Joe Rogan, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> if there are sentient aliens out there that we can communicate with that are not demons and, and angels, they're very far away. They're so far away. Unless they'd have to be different than they'd have to be much weaker than us so that they don't have any potential of space travel. And then they're still so far away, right? Uh, that the odds of coming into contact with them uh, is, is very unlikely. Why would God do this? I don't know. That's why I don't think it's there. However, if it was there, maybe they're advanced. Now imagine how this would go. This is, I like this. I think this is fun. So go away if you must, but I'm going to ponder this one here. Day of creation, seven days of creation, six days of creation, creation on the fifth day, eh, sixth day. I don't know. Which would they be? Would they come on the day of man? Yes. With, yeah, yeah. With, with the other animals. So there they are. Creation has been scattered, right? The heavens have been declared. It's all, it's all out there as it is. And then like on day five or maybe day four, while he's making birds, <laughs> uh, uh, but probably a day, day, I'm assuming day six, uh, I'm getting that order wrong. So it's all, my argument's going to sound terrible. On day six, when he's making man, before he gets down to the dirt and makes man as the head of creation, uh, along with some other, you know, antelope and stuff, he goes and he makes, you know, better than apes, high sentient, you know, reptile people on the planet Zortog uh, in the quadrant Zikofar, right? Far off, so far away that, in fact, uh, for a human being to travel at normal space time there would take a, a, a bazillion years, okay? But, but they're there because God is a creator and he loves diversity and he loves beauty and that's what he does. And I'm with that. Like, I could totally go with that. Okay, so they're way out there. And it's perfect. And like a day later, it's not. That had to be weird. That had to be really weird for the species. Like, here we are. It's perfect. We're sentient. We understand who God is. We have a personal relationship with God because we are sentient and he has called us his, right? Creatures, whatever they are. And now, wait. Decay. Death has entered the world. I mean, is that what happened? I mean, you, you, the fall, thorns? Whoa, what's that about? Who? wait, wait. You know. So they would have understood, I think, because of their perfect sentience, the fall almost immediately. It would not have impacted their sentience necessarily, although they're still tied to us somehow. So can you imagine then, billions of years of light years away is a species trying to get here because they know that we exist and that Jesus was one of us. Should at least talk to them about it when they show up, shouldn't we? Can I drop a microphone, or should I just uh, go to break? So before you guys get in the in the side chat here, although I may be too late to get it to you, um, we're talking about. Oh, good. It looks like you agreed. That's good. So we got a we got a super chat in the break um, from Jedi Knight. Thank you. He he does this with great regularity. Um, and then we also have some conversation about uh, Jesus dying once for all. And versus, say, aliens, Jesus dying for the aliens, right? And then, you know, Jesus died for, oh, 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 um, coming back again, Jesus uh, redeemed all of creation. Okay, so here's the thing, here's the thing. You have to, we'll come back to um, the other one in a moment. Uh, yeah. The only part of creation needing atonement was Adam. Jesus is the new Adam. He has atoned for Adam. Everything else that was made that is made, that is not ever begotten or proceeding, substance of God, is under the headship of Adam. And when Adam fell, it went. Which means that the angels, as created order, 
are part of the fight. I call it a problem. The war, they're not evil, even a little bit, but they're an evil creation. Think how long they have watched. Think how many times they've had to see us make the same mistakes. They love us because they're good. Mm. Hold that thought, right? They're our friends. They did not need to be redeemed in the sense of forgiven. But if we're going to talk about redeeming being the buying back of creation by virtue of atoning for Adam, who is the head of creation, well, then indeed the angels were redeemed. But I think you would be careful with that language, not throw that around too much. But now I, I say this so that we can apply it to the alien part. Again, the aliens, if they exist and are not human, be interesting if they were. Imagine if pre-flood there was a spaceship. I don't know. Whatever. Probably not. Um, uh, but <clears throat> if they're not human, they don't need atonement. So we would, they would be coming here to find Jesus and the story of Jesus because they believe it already exists. They would already figured it out to some level. They'd be searching the stars, not to have the stars teach them, but to find the star that was under the star that they saw 2,000 years ago, right? And they're flying here now. And when they show up, they want some Christians to be like, yeah, uh, he has risen. <laughs> As opposed to like Trump, <laughs> right? So, so like, that's the idea. Huh? Um, that's the idea. All right. So um, uh, back to Jedi Anakin Kundrucker with your super chat. I'm not sure I understand your question or your comment. So... You're telling me there's a nuclear reactor in Africa built by non-humans. Built by rocks? Are you talking about a, like a volcano? Is that what you're talking about? That's that's too smart for me. You lost me on that one. So I think I think I followed you finally at the end there. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Desert Rose, thank you. Thank you, Pastor, she says, from the Gold Family. You are welcome. I appreciate the support. Very, very mucho. Anybody want to learn Spanish with me? I am intending... To try to learn Spanish because in my area, the Española population, the Latino population, will be increasing significantly over the coming years. And as a th- Southern California West Coast hillbilly, I um, I have an affinity for that culture, and I'm looking forward to engaging with some theology in about five years when I get fluent. But there's a um, I can't remember now. My wife, as she's watching, can share. And there's a really really cool intuitive learning uh, process I'm going to try using that you listen to, uh, and she can share it. Uh, she's done it before. Really speaks highly of it. Not with uh, Spanish. I forget which one she was learning. But in any case, moving on. Daniel says this. He says, "Take a sip of coffee, Pastor." Were the Israelites who were struck down in the wilderness saved? Will they be in the new heavens and the new earth? So you're talking about which Israelites? I mean, there were a lot of them, right? But so let's just pick any one of them. Uh, let's pick the serpent on the on the pole story. It's coming up in the lectionary, I believe, anyway. Uh, Holy Cross Day, that is, is coming up uh, in September. So the Israelites are out there. They've been saved. They are believers. They have all the promises of God. They're moving toward basically paradise heaven. They're just like us right now. And they do what we're doing right now. They forget. <laughs> You know, and they don't pay attention. They complain. They don't see the real point. The fiery, pillory cloud god who destroys their enemies, he's not enough for them. The free food, it's not enough for him. Uh, you know, why do these things happen? They happen because that's what humans do. Why were they written down so we could see? That's what humans do, and we could really try not to do it just personally, you know, every time. <laughs> uh, so, so in the midst of this and teaching them this and showing them this, part of their grumbling leads to an engagement with an army of poisonous snakes. Um, this is where, again, King James can be a lot of fun with the fire-breathing salad salamanders and you know what maybe god did make fire-breathing salamanders out of the sky that doesn't seem to be what the hebrews really talking about but uh, you know whatever i would accept that if that was actually the historical fact big deal i don't care 
there are poisonous snakes who enter among them because God does send them there to punish them because they have stopped believing in him. And you think, well, that was mean of him. It's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. wait. I just kind of slow way down on that one. It's mean of the good God to stop helping the evil people. That's what you're arguing. Right? Well, God did evil things. Well, he destroyed a lot of them, right? Okay, but, but they're the evil people. Like when you find a termite mountain in your backyard, what do you do? So if he's like, okay, termites, <laughs> I trained you, cleaned you up nice, gave you superpowers. All you got to do is not eat my wood. Here you are, Israelites. And what do they do? Oh, we want some wood. Yeah, let's get some wood, right? Oh, you're going to be termites. Well, then I will exterminate you. That's just kind of the way it is. This is the universal narrative. This is not just one time. This is every life and every civilization. And this is humanity waiting for Christ, right? Uh, that, that you're either in him or it's over. Game done. You, you think you're walking. You're not, zombie. Huh? Uh, you, <laughs> I know what spirit's in me. Do you? Uh, so <laughs> uh, we are of a different breed. So they were that. And somewhere in the midst of that, though, with true faith being there, enough of the congregation has hypocrisy the congregation being a nation at this point, that God sends, well, an actual wall. This happens today less with poisonous snakes and more with congregations just failing to exist. You usually don't fail to exist because of your faithfulness, unless they're actually going after you with, like, money and knives. Uh, uh, and so if you think your orthodoxy is the only reason no one comes to your church, uh, um, there's more. There's more. Uh, <laughs> uh, bring it back. We're here doing the same thing that they are. Who's saved, who's not, is your question. And that's where you got to be really super careful because you're asking who's saved, who's not. And if you're going to ask it of them then, you got to ask it of us now, and we shouldn't ask it of us now aside from knowing what the Bible says about who's saved and who's not, which is not any one of us. Like, you don't have your name written in the book of life outside of the baptism you have into Jesus. Like, it's not in the Bible itself. You can't find it there. I mean... I can find my name there because Jonathan was a friend of David, right? But that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, um, to know that I am written in the book of life, I need the marks of Jesus upon me. Which ones did he create? Baptism, supper. Okay, so, so that goes all in that direction. But am I to then sit here and try to decide who has those marks is and is not faithful based upon how much they grumble? And that's the question. But that's also exactly right to ask it of the old time in this way um, so that we come to that answer. Were the Israelites who were struck down in the wilderness saved? I don't know. It doesn't really talk about that. It never talks about that. I think if you had to make a guess because at gunpoint you had to decide, it sounds like in a lot of cases they weren't. But not always. I think in some cases there was, in fact, uh, levels of repentance that took place. Um, and then the punishment was still there. And so it just you can't, you can't really paint with a broad brush. Now, with the, the serpent on the pole, here's the thing that really, it, it, it does put the scandal of particularity and the, the needle in, in the haystack and the, what, the pee under the, the mattresses. Um, the way that you would be saved from the poisonous serpent was to look at this snake put up on a pole, commanded by God to Moses to do, weird, given they weren't supposed to make graven images ever, right, or or... or was there a little bit different nuance in that? Anyway, um, it, it, snake on a pole, it does become a snare to them later, way later. Uh, but to put up the snake on a pole and declare to the congregation that anybody who will just turn their face and look at it, 
parade it around. And if you just hear us saying, look at the snake on the pole, and you turn and you look at it, you will be healed. And they were healed. The people who did not turn to look at the snake on the pole are what we really want to pay attention to with your question. Less than what happened to those who died before they had time to craft the bronze serpent? Were they saved? Could they have been saved? Oh no, they didn't move fast enough. They must have carried that under conscience. There'll be less people in heaven. No, no, no. You don't know who your God is, if that's what you think. Your God's in charge. We're not in charge. We're trying to be in charge. That's the problem. Your God's in charge. So you let him worry about those people and then think about those among whom the bronze serpent was being paraded who were dying of poison, who were told, look at this, what, metal snake on a stick because your God said to look at it and you'll live. And some people didn't look. Inevitably. Right? Why would you not look? He is risen. You're paid for. You cannot die now. You won't be long anyway. Mm. So, some of them, probably, you know, is Saul among the prophets? That's, that's a good place to go with this one, too. You ever found that verse? I don't know it offhand in terms of chapter verse, but I can quote it. Is it not said? Is Saul not among the prophets? Yeah. Saul, the king of Israel, filled with the Holy Spirit, was a true prophet of God as well. Very weird, because, like, the prophet was supposed to make a king because the prophet wasn't going to be the king, but then the king starts prophesying. It's like, what's going on? Is Saul among the prophets? He doesn't seem to do it his whole life long. David does. Um, in that, though, right, um, Saul loses the spirit. He's one of the only two people in the whole Bible, Samson and Saul, who have the spirit depart from them. Not a good sign in my mind for either man, despite Hebrews 11. We can talk that some other time. Um, in any case, it, it, the, the, the hope that Samson has is the same hope that Saul has, which is not a good hope, I don't think. But, but is this question, is Saul also among the prophets? Can a prophet not be saved? And... I think the purpose of that being in scripture is so we'll just say like, like it really, it looks like Saul's not going to make it. Like it really, really looks like we won't see him, but you know what? You're not the judge. It's Saul among the prophets. It pretty clearly is the answer is no, but even there, let God judge on last day unless he says it in scripture. Right. And I don't mean, I hope that's not a smackdown. I hope that was just a good brawl. Uh, that's what I wanted it to be. That's a good question, really. Um, and don't take that as don't ask that question, but see how often the questions we ask illustrate the problem of our thinking. Yeah. And when I ask questions, the scriptures want us to ask, not the questions that the world would have us ask. The world is our flesh. It is run by the enemy and the spirit of the enemy is not one that is at peace with the spirit who is in within you. Yeah? So, uh, Lynn says this, Pastor Fisk, could you please share with us how you chose the man Christian as your name? Um, is it based on a particular Bible verse? Yes, although I can't give you chapter verse yet because uh, I just don't have it memorized. What are the essential characteristics, habits, etc. for those of us who aspire to be mad Christians? Uh, um, the only time in my life I've been called by someone else a man after God's own heart was a girlfriend who broke up with me when I was 20, maybe 21. And she did it while breaking up with me. It's a strange memory. Hadn't had that to your question for quite a while. Um, I wasn't happy about the breakup, whatever. You know, it's all under the bridge now. But the, uh, that she said that to me meant something to me back then. Still does now. Because like, that's like the life goal. Would that it were so. What else would I want to be? 
And, and that is language spoken of David, right? That he is a man after God's own heart. And so I don't know if it was spawned by that or if I was already on that track a little bit, but to understand what that means, to be a man after God's own heart means to understand David as opposed to Saul, who we were just talking about, right? They are so distinct from each other. And you can do the same kind of thing with Judas and Peter a little bit, but um, I'm particular to Saul and David. Um, I just think it's, it's a more complex story. There's more detail there uh, to see what the Simul Eustus Epicotter life looks like, how it can collapse as Saul's does, um, and how, how it, it doesn't collapse when you don't make it collapse, as, as is David's case, as God keeps coming back. Um, so, so David has been a particular study of mine, uh, just in terms of hero, I suppose, right? Biblical hero. Uh, you would think I'd be really into Jonathan. Jonathan's pretty cool, but, um, David is, uh, well, he's got the texts, right? And, uh, I mean, he would, little in fact, I was almost named, almost named David. There's a, a secret family, uh, bit of knowledge that'll, they'll tell you why I didn't get the name David, but I, I was very close to being David and I'm, I'm Jonathan instead. Um, but so affinity for David and, Golly, to walk you through this, Lynn, I love the question. Like, I'd love to write about it and have the time to really ponder it because it did take a lot of thought. I, you guys, if you watched, if you're from Rev Fisk Raw on, right? From Worldview Everlasting probably isn't going to make it to Rev Fisk Raw on. Um, I have, I have been searching for a brand, right? I was trying to find a way to rebrand and not, you know, abuse the good that was Worldview Everlasting, which as a nonprofit, I need to not be connected to. Now it's closed, it's gone. If I were to benefit from that, like officially, monetarily, that would look really bad. It would be really bad, right? So I don't want that. Nobody wants that. Um, and so I have to kind of find another brand. Well, the problem is, you know, when you've had one brand and it goes away and people are still looking for you in the other brand and they find an atheist website instead, it's kind of hard to find your way back. And, and at the same time, I wanted to have something I could latch onto and hold onto. So the phrase, you know, worldview everlasting was connected to the belief that what the scriptures say will never be broken. It is a, a view of the world that is God's view. And so it, it can't be wrong. I'm not granted translation, all that others, you know, don't just believe every Bible you pick up, blah, blah, blah. But God's view cannot be wrong. Um, so I wanted something as, as sustainable as that. But I also had to get as far away as possible. I, I also um, have, and I've been very vocal about this, at least here. I have struggled with what I would call the insularity of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I believe this is a cultural issue. It's not necessarily a sinful issue, although idolatry always plays a part of just everything in culture. But we have a real problem talking to other people. We're not good at it. We're kind of jerks as a whole. We don't treat each other well. Uh, there's not a lot of love in our midst, even among those who agree. And then we wonder why we just aren't any good at getting anyone to come to our social clubs. You know, come sit down. We will feed you food. Give us money. <laughs> it's, it's, and that was, that was my bad German accent. I'm allowed to do that because I got some German blood in me. Um, uh, nine, right? Uh, there you go. And I made it German. I can do a French too. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so uh, trying to find the brand that can break the white noise a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I went through a couple of phases of other stuff that I tried. Project Resurrection was one we went with for a little bit. Um, there, was, there was a couple other stuff. I golly. And there is a verse, and I could just tell you the verse, and it would, it, would, it would tell you what it is, but I feel like that would shortchange the idea. I'll just tell the story then. So David, after he has to flee from Saul, the time when they throw the spear, him and Jonathan meet in the field, they throw the spear to like to tell him what's going to happen. But then, you know, Jonathan can't help himself. He has to say goodbye anyway. 
um, because apparently, you know, brotherhood and male friendship doesn't exist. It's only homoerotica. Oh, wait, no. It's called friendship, and people do care about each other without having to have sex with each other. Um, the ridiculous lie we believe these days as a culture is just insane. In any case, Jonathan, after letting David know by sign that uh, he should escape, that he will be killed if he returns to the palace, uh, he then goes out, risks his own life with this traitor, right, David, um, and uh, uh, says goodbye to him. Um, I do not recall, I do not believe they meet again. Uh, Jonathan will die in battle, uh, valorously defending the people of God from enemies who would crush them and sacrifice their children and all that kind of stuff. So um, in any case, David goes from there and he flees. And there's a lot of story that takes place in the midst of that flight. He does, at first he's being chased by Saul, you know, this is stuff about the cave and all that kind of stuff. It's all really great story. But eventually he decides he can't stay in Israel anymore. That if he stays in the land, then all the king will do is try to kill him. And it sounds like the Democrats and Trump, doesn't it now? Goodness gracious, if he stays in the office, then we must do anything to get him out of office, even if it destroys the people. And that's actually kind of what was happening. So David left, right? Uh, and I mean, he's not Trump. It's not the election. It's a different thing. But he, he wasn't king yet. He, he, he knew he would be, but he left. And he tries to live among his enemies, which is the craziest tactic you could ever imagine. But what else can he do? He's pushed by survival. And so he goes out amongst his enemies, the Philistines. And there's a number of different things that happen while he's there. Uh, at times, he's fighting with them and for them, and they're trusting him. At other times, he's not. And again, I don't want to get the story out of order. But the there's a moment where, I mean, there's nothing left for this guy. He can't sleep on caves in caves anymore. Um, he's been in the court fighting for this other guy, winning battles, and in comes some other king who knew him from other battles and maybe knew that David was kind of cheating the system and defending his own people when he wasn't supposed to be. And this other guy comes in and says, I know that guy. Why is that guy here? He's going to hurt us in the long run. You kill that guy right now. And David's reaction is, I know what I'll do. I'm playing crazy. Woo! Ah! Because if you play crazy, the barbarian will be confused. He might even be entertained. And he might keep you just to laugh. Because a barbarian doesn't think. Not with the word of God. (laughs) And so what David did was he put spittle in his beard. And he mangled his face. And he acted like a crazy guy. For like, I forget, was it a year? Three? So I thought, huh. With all the BLM, you know, shouting... It's not just BLM. I mean, that's just the most recent one, right? With all the different sloganeering of hate and the silencing of Christians. So we can't even say what we think anymore without like, oh, I feel bad. I offended someone by like saying that love is good. You know, (laughs) doing evil is wrong. You bigot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's only wrong in my religion. Right. I mean, we've so backed ourselves into that corner. Like we have no way to talk anymore without apologizing. And I'm done apologizing for my religion. Straight up. I don't need to defend my religion. I do not need to defend my religion. It has the burden of proof. You need the burden of proof on your religion. My guy rose from the dead. I got the burden of proof on my side. You prove to me that I should not believe that. And until then, I'm not going to stop talking about my religion, nor apologize for it to a skeptic and a scoffer who will just take the words, twist them, and use them to make it not say what I said, because anybody can quibble with anything if they just want to deceive you, which again is the spirit that is in man who does not believe Christ is risen, right? So let's get wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and realize that if we got to go and be a prophet, might as well be a mad one. It should be a lot more fun. I mean, 
It's as simple as this. Every time I'm in a conversation with you or someone else, I'm going to push you. I'm going to say, look, I know you're wise. I know I'm wise. I know God has given us much knowledge, but I'm going to say, I think I've seen something you haven't seen, and I think it's going to hurt you, but I think you need to know it. I'm going to push you a little bit. When I'm done, when that dagger has been like slid into your heart, if I can, like up the ribs, and I pull it back out. Hold on, hold on. It's coming. It's it's good. It's coming. It comes back out. I'm going to go, that's crazy anyway. I'm going to walk away. And then you're going to be like, and instead of being mad at me for like being like, you're just going to be like stunned by what just happened in this really open, hopefully, um, honest, vulnerable conversation. And um, my madness will have been the deft move by which I inserted the poison pill not to destroy your kingdom as David did to those other men, but by which he saved the kingdom of God, defending it, and was ready to ride in after Saul died and become the king who would be. Um, I, don't, I don't need to be your king. I'm the king of my, my house. Um, but uh, I don't need to be yours per se. Uh, what I do need you to do is know that your king is Jesus and that he is so complete in total that when the world thinks you're crazy for what you said, your answer is, uh-huh. And I know what spirit's in me. So which one's in you if you're calling that one crazy? Mm. Yeah? That's mad Christianity. What does it mean? What do you adopt? Let's hang off on that one. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you what I'm telling my parish right now. It means you really don't leave the house without your Bible. Pocket size, if possible, right? You got to be able to read it. But you don't leave your house without your Bible. And if possible, it's a little tougher. You don't leave your house without your hymnal. If you cannot afford to buy the pocket-sized hymnal, that would go nicely with your pocket-sized Bible from CBH, by the way. It's really, I'm very excited about mine. Um, if you cannot do that, uh, then just open your hymnal every day, once a day. doesn't really even matter what hymnal, I suppose, although preferably you want a hymnal that has Bible verses noted in the hymnal. That is, when there's a hymn, it says what Bible verses they came from. So open your hymnal every day and read a hymn. And then consider one of those Bible verses listed below in the right-hand, left-hand corners, if, if you're you know, looking at the Lutheran service book, and look the verse up. And then take a piece of paper and a pen and write the verse's meaning in your own words. And you will transform your faith. I don't know what else to tell you. TV has been a poison pill, and this is the antidote. And I'm talking first article, 30 is the law on you a little bit here. Uh, it's, it's real. It's really real. The TV sucks away your ability to think for yourself. You need to be able to take your thoughts and put them in other words once or twice a day at least. And to do that with the word of God is like super juice. Try the Proverbs. Did I do this one to you? This is coming this Sunday in the sermon. I mean, I think I did it on Instagram. You follow me on Instagram? Instagram's fun. I don't, I don't have an agenda on Instagram except fun. Um, you're telling me. That the Almighty God wrote a book about wisdom, just wisdom. It's not even that long, like 30 chapters. It'd take you like a couple of days, really. You're pretty dumb to read it that fast. But the Almighty God wrote a book about wisdom that you can get for free, and you haven't read it? What does that make you? 
Yeah, you hear what I'm saying? Like so, so um, that's what I've been doing. It's translating Proverbs. Dear heavens, I am going to I'm going to go out on a limb right now. It's not a limb. I am on a vine, which is Jesus. I'm going to go out on the vine and say that every good decision I made from age 20 onward, in terms of life decision making, is because I read the book of Proverbs at age 20 in my read through the Bible in a year. Didn't understand it. Didn't think on it. Didn't translate it. I just happened to read it once. And if you think, Pastor Fisk, how are you so young and you know so much? I'm just going to tell you, I read Proverbs when I was 20. That's it. Right there. And so, like, whatever you're doing right now, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, Mad Christian, you want, it, you want, it, you want a piece of this? <laughs> Pick up your Bible. Pick up a pen and paper and start translating Proverbs from English into English you know. You will not believe the insights that God has just laid for you right there that you know. And when you get to hear yourself saying it to yourself, learn it from yourself, regurgitate it, ponder it, absorb it. Be like, I need that one more right now. Again, it'll beat notification syndrome all to death. And I should coin, should coin that one. Notification syndrome. <laughs> Uh-oh. Pardon moi. Hmm. This could be faster. There we go. Hey, Red Fist, says Samuel. Red without flesh and echo. Cool. Love them, but the idea of Jesus ascending into omnipresence is something I've never considered. I, that was like kind of the point, right? Didn't I say like the ascension is something most people don't think about? <laughs> uh, and if you think about it, it's like mind-blowing. Uh, would you please speak more about this? I'm fascinated. Oh, I can try. I think the book it really did say as much as could be said. I'd rather read it to you. Where is it? Do I have a copy? I have a copy somewhere. Sorry, everybody. Is it right there? No, it's not right there. It's funny. Like it was only in this move, like this summer, that I said, you know, I should have a copy of each of my own books for myself and have it somewhere. <laughs> like, why, why don't I put my book on my shelf? Uh, uh, um, so I don't know where Echo is right now. Uh, yes, I'll talk about it more. I'd rather read it to you because I think I think the the book is very concise, and I, I don't want to misspeak. And I have to give all the credit to Wolf Mueller on this one. Uh, that it was he him uh, probably three, four, or five years ago uh, who just said to me, "We don't believe in the ascension." And what? We don't believe it. We don't talk about it. We don't think it's there. We don't know why it's there. It's just, just like it's an appendage. Huh. So, you know, whenever you say something like that to me and it's true about Christianity, I'm going like to be digging on that for years. So I, I, I have been. Um, and it, it is true. Uh, the creed is an appendage in the way that we use it. Now, I'm not against reciting the creed in church. I think we should. Um, although I think a really good sung version um, or a version that had a better rhythm to it than kind of the plotting that we do that we don't, you can't think about it when we say it in unison, the way we say it, it's very difficult to, it works against thinking about it. And part of that is because we're having to move on and think about moving on rather than think about the words that are being said. What music, when you know music does and what rhythm can do is that it removes that thinking about when I have to say it by putting it into your body instead of your mind. And you think about the words with your mind and you think about the rhythm with your body. And it's it's an actual nefesh reality. You are a breather, right? You need the rhythm, your heartbeat and all that kind of stuff. And it helps uh, us speak as people. Um, So, you know, we can talk more about music theory and why I'm a complete rogue radical on that one too, even though... Um, I am liturgical to the day is long. But uh, the things we have not considered with regard to the ascension are so manifold that it touches on everything. But if you hear me talking about the confidence that you can have as a Christian to know that you cannot die now, it hinges upon the ascension of Jesus. If you believe even a tiny little bit 
that God is for you and not against you, and that providence is moving the world in a direction that will land you in paradise with Jesus, then his ascension as an idea matters a lot. Because it's the place or the confession that this isn't just God the Father doing all of this and Jesus is some guy watching. That Jesus as a man, as a human male with the the, atrophy, or the, the, the uh, attributes of our gray matter, is doing things that you cannot do with our gray matter by, by virtue of him being God. And that this mysterious union, this personal reality of the human nature and the divine nature, is something that used to be argued about a lot in the church, uh, not so much for the sake of the sacraments. Today, most of the argument takes place among the sacraments, and when we're talking about the sacraments, but it goes back to really being an argument about um, uh, about God uh, and, and who God is in Jesus, the personal union, again, of these two natures. And so uh, what does it mean to have a God who is a man? The Council of Chalcedon is probably the most uh, succinct confession or witness, you know, martyreo, what's been left behind uh, for us on that argument, on that fight. Um, and it comes up with uh, a condemnation of both sides of the argument, saying that it is a, indeed a mystery. And to dissolve or resolve the mystery is to deny Jesus himself being who he is. And so you want to be really careful with this. This is why when Lutherans do talk about the implications of sacramentarianism on Jesus' two natures, we're, we're not like just trying to be snarky about that. Like, no, really, we think it has an impact on that, and that's problematic for us. You can maybe understand why we take it so seriously and don't think it's not a big deal, as we think it's, in fact, Christologically denying uh, the orthodoxy of Jesus, which doesn't mean that just because you go to a sacramentarian church, you're not going to heaven. For pity's sakes, can we stop tip for tatting every bit of salvation and realize that God's in charge? You're going to go to heaven because you believe in Jesus, but it doesn't mean he wants you to stay in the lies and make a bunch of nonsense up and deceive a bunch of other people in an accident. Right? So we have to be able to talk about this stuff without getting all personal and, and you know, in a ninny fit, because our, our read of the Bible, our theology, is what? Finding its way amongst the heterodoxy toward a desired orthodoxy, which we know the Scriptures gives us. And if we know, if we just keep coming back to the Scriptures and trusting them and not us, we will find that straight, narrow path, which is the ascended Christ, who has conquered in the fight, he has paid for you now, you have the immortality as a deposit of the Spirit, you breathe eternal life by means of the Word of God, and yea, though you die, for certain your body's going to rise again, and I'm not convinced that after the moment of death, it's going to hurt in such a way that you won't be like, yee-haw, this is what it's been about all along. And so, again, that flows from knowing that the king who bought it at the cross and then displayed it for the world at the resurrection, took possession of it as God-man in the ascension, and then poured it out, we can have later, right, uh, on Pentecost, so that it's on you now, so that when I look at you and I say, and I'm going to say it a lot, I know what spirit I got, which one you got? I know which one's mine. He's holy. You know, when I say that, it's because of what Jesus did at Pentecost, and because I believe that I don't need to speak in some sort of made-up tongues. I got plenty of real tongues. That was all scripture, and you can go find it, and you can translate it, and you can read it. But I don't have to do that in order to know that I have the Spirit of God poured out on Pentecost. I just have to know that the baptism, which was given on that day, is the same one I have now. As the guarantee that the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ is my king, I have been christened. I have been chosen. I have been washed. I have been sanctified. I have been justified. And the game is just getting going. Every day I wake up, my first thoughts are about my American life. 
toilet. I'm very thankful for my toilet. 100 years ago, 150, different world. Toilet, running water with no lead in it, Romans. <laughs> uh, and then I kind of stumbled my way, I mean, the fog, right? The fog in the morning, finding your way, if you can, how long does it take? I mean, it's always a fight. I want my coffee. I want a glass of water. Um, I can't think straight. I see words. I can't get there, but I want to get to the Psalms and I want to get to the Proverbs because all that other stuff is about what I have to do today. All that fog and drag is because I got to work with my hands in the soil of thorns. And it doesn't matter if it's thorns or not. I got plenty of pain in this wrist from working on those thorns right there. And it doesn't matter. That need to work to better the world because of your fear that drives you from the moment you get out of bed in the morning. It is countered by the remembrance that you can come back today and you can't die. And if you just kind of stretch, breathe a little bit, the pain can actually be a bit of a motivation uh, and fight back. Uh, Athletes know that. Um, Strangely, athletics in America hasn't taught that to a lot of kids. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe I do know. But again, waking up in the morning, somehow you got to move yourself. Wow. That sounds like you got to do it. The Lord is going to continue to do this to you. And eventually what you're going to find is that without a reminder that you have a king who's on a throne, who is your liege, who, yeah, you should actually put your face on the ground and acknowledge his existence as your Lord and say, what next, Lord? And then open the Psalms, right? (laughs) Um, You should do that. Why? Because he's an actual human king and he's omnipresent and he's uh, uh, omnipowerful and he's omni. There's three of them. I'm gonna lose it. Doesn't matter. He's all these things. He's God. And he's making all that go on out there right now, just like it is with all the fiery cities and burning Californias and taxing people to death and everyone's driving who and knocking looters out and eh, whatever. And he's like, the wicked lay a net and then fall into it. The faithful one trusts in the Lord. And we're like, that's not good enough. And I'm like, no, 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 really, 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 slow down, slow down, slow down. Your fear of the wicked laying the net, which will possibly cause you pain, is really misappropriated. Your fear should not be of the Democrats getting a hold of the country and making you have to pay more taxes. You should not be afraid of that. It's fine to not want that. But you should not be afraid of that. Let's just go back to peasantry and imagine right now you have this life, but you're in fact a slave. You're owned by your credit card company and your place of work, your business, because you're not a private employer. It's the future dystopian reality. But you have everything that you have right now and you can still go to church the way you go to church right now. What changes? What changes if you get moved into China? Where they start giving you Marxism as like, you know, I, you know, brainwashing kind of stuff, right? What changes? Does it have to change? That's the question. Now, when the government comes and knocks on your door and starts making you do the brainwashing stuff, that's, that, well, are you ready? Now, is that going to happen here? I don't think so. My point is, why are you afraid of it? Don't be afraid of some Marxist in China in some imaginary reality. What was the, I, what was the, what was the TV show? 
oh for goodness sakes i can't remember with the, on the island right anyways you know they they strap you down and they make you stare at it for days and days what are you gonna be doing like, why are you afraid of that? Not what are you gonna do. Why are you afraid of that? You're afraid of that because you don't know what you would be doing. That's why you're afraid of it. It is the non-awareness of what could be that makes you afraid. When you would then admit what could be and then counter it with what you know can't not be, namely that God is for you, not against you. Now, it's not fear. Now it's courage. It's still not what you want. You still don't think it's a great idea. But now, you're not knocking me down with Jesus behind me. I'm sorry. And so Marxism, if you want to come and strap my eyes open and make me watch them, I mean, we're, they're doing it just by selling us sugar right now, right? Is that how we, we stare at the TV so much and entertainment and all that? They don't need to strap us down. But if they ever were to, well, every day I say my creed. Now, I'm not going to get myself through this. But Jesus will. And every day I say my creed. I'm pretty sure I could start saying that creed. And I could say that creed for a long time over and over again if I had to. I haven't really done the gambit yet. I'm no Navy SEAL. But you know what? Um, I say it every day. Because I'm not going to be afraid of anybody taking anything from me. And I'm not going to vote Trump because I'm afraid my religion won't work if Biden wins. Mm-mm. Nah, no, 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 that ain't how it works. It's the other way around. I'm going to vote Trump because he's the most pro-life president there has been. By the way, so so Kanye... Kanye, where are you, man? <laughs> He's failing me. I'm pulling my support of Kanye. God bless you, Kanye. You need to throw your weight behind Trump at this point. Um, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to vote Trump. Because, again, the, the pro-life issue just cannot be ignored. And it has been. Where is it? It's not even in the conversation right now. Uh, meanwhile, uh, after multiple nights of the Democratic National Convention, there was no mention of riots. I find that fascinating and very telltale. That's what it is. So um, it, you take that what it is. The point is... What issue are you voting on and why? And if you don't think that abortion continues to be, like legally, a reason why God would put his thumb against any nation, that's all he's ever done in history so far as the Bible shows of nations. When does God destroy nations? When do they kill babies? That's when. So, so like, if you care about your country, the only thing to vote on is the pro-life agenda. Oh, I'm not a one-issue voter. Really? Human life is not the one issue you vote on? What other issues beyond human life existing as human life matter? Alien life? Angel life? Demon life? I don't know. Am I still in the ascension? I don't know. The point is that, but that is it. He who sits in the throne of the heavens laughs. He laughs at it. We're spending all this money, all this worry. I scroll through Twitter, oh, anxiety. And he goes, guys, like, what are you doing? I got this thing. Christians, you know I got this thing, so stop stressing over it and do the right thing instead. Use your earthly mammon to think about heavenly things. Yeah. Crazy. I'm just crazy. It works, right? I, I'm just crazy. I'm a weird guy. I'm a black sheep. Or I'm a fool. And I will say this too on the mad Christian question. Like, why, why mad Christianity? So, I mean, look. The persona I'm adopting for you now is who I really am. I'm not going to pretend to be who I'm not like I was in the very lasting days. I was trying to, you know, be a, a persona that I thought the TV would want. Um, uh, through a variety of things, including reading books about it, uh, it, it came clear to me, no, you need to be who you actually are. So what am I? I'm a West Coast hillbilly is what I am. I'm, I'm, I'm really weird. I'm not upper class, but I've, I've wandered in upper classes, and I know why. It's because my father's a bard. Uh, and as a bard, as a musician, bards are always able to uh, elevate their social circle because, for money, they will perform for those who then can pay them to perform, right? So, so I've grown up with my nose in both places. And as I've tried to figure out uh, what, and I'm not, I'm not the highest here, obviously, uh, but, but trying to figure out again, and I took the pastor out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm trying to figure out uh, 
<laughs> um, the best word for describing what I am on TV right now from like any old world is that I'm a fool. I'm your court jester. Now, I'd like to think I make it look good. <laughs> but, but like, that's the mad Christian, right? So you want, you're asking about what is the mad Christian? I am the court jester of Christianity. I am the court jester of American Gen X, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm, I'm, cause I'm crazy. And I will say it. I will just go ahead and say it, right? And you have to either laugh at me or dismiss me. And the history of comedians, gestures, whatever you want to call us, uh, the history of comedians, and I'm not that funny. <laughs> Uh, uh, is that they aren't necessarily that funny. The history of the fool in the court is he's the only guy who can say whatever he wants to the king and probably not get killed. <laughs> well, here you go. That's what I'm here for you. I'm your personal court gesture. And to do that, you got to know what I am. I'm crazy. I really don't care. Like, you're not going to... Like, you're mad at me? All right. It's cool. Whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm nuts. I know it. I believe the word of God. And if you don't, then why would you think I was sane? You would think I was insane because I think I'm never going to die. All right. So, like, I'm crazy, right? That's it. There it is. Mad Christianity. Let's go back to... We dropped in once. We'll do it again. All right. How do we combat the idea that any call to the law... (laughs) And as Paul... I'm going to go back again. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, like, but among the mature, don't all mistake me for crazy. Like, by calling myself the mad Christian, I'm not really saying I'm crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you don't have the spirit of God, you're going to think I'm crazy. But I'm, I know what spirit I got. How about you? That's it. Yeah. Uh, Matthew says, how do we combat the idea that any call to the law automatically equals moralism, even if it is a conduit to the gospel? I'm not sure what you mean by conduit to the gospel. However, the idea that any call to the law is moralism is called unrepentance. We combat that by calling it unrepentance. You are not repentant. <laughs> you don't believe that sin is sin. That's wrong. You should believe that sin is sin. Now, there is this nonsensical, you know, scholastic fight about third use, first use, second use, blah, 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 which is like some people trying to say no law, some people trying to say only law. It just, it's obfuscating the entire thing. It makes it more complex when it doesn't really need to be more complex. You know that someone doesn't understand what they're saying when they make it complex as they say it. Uh, I do it sometimes, but I like to think I just did down pretty well. Uh, So the law straight up, does not equal moralism. The law equals what God says truth is about good things. And to say that, well, what God says about truth is good things, or God says is truth about the good things, that that is moralism, well, then you're just worshiping the wrong God, apparently, and you don't know who your God is, because God didn't create moralism. He created morals. And morals, or mores, or structure, or I'm going to do like a big intuitive linguistic hop here, but mores, or natural laws, things that are built into creation, the way stuff just always is, you can also call that wisdom. Like, to say that you can't talk about that would be about the dumbest thing I could imagine Christian ever saying. Sounds like a fool to me who's never read the book of Proverbs. At the same time, there is a legalistic streak trying to silence the gospel amongst Lutheran churches and Lutheran preachers in America. There's no question about it whatsoever. We don't, we don't have enough clear gospel preachers, but we have this terror. This terror walks among us that somebody somewhere might hear the gospel and think it means they can keep doing bad stuff and abuse it. So we better not ever just say the gospel because someone might mistake it for unbelief and unbelieve their way into unbelief. And you're like, you're going to stop the unbeliever from unbelieving by taking away the thing that could possibly convert him and would feed the believer. You're crazy again. What are you doing? 
right? So the, why are we trying to manipulate the Word of God is the better question. Law and gospel, the particularly glorious light, as confessed in the confessions, including the first, second, and third uses, are not there for us to manipulate them. That's not what it's there for. And this argument is about us manipulating God's word. It's magic, right? And I'm all for wizardry, believe it or not, but not for magic like that. No, we don't manipulate God's word. God's word does what it says to us. So you cut through this like a knife. If you just admit the law is the law, is what God says is good, and it's always going to be good. There is no place where murder will be good, and where stealing will be good, and where lying will be good. There will never be a heaven, a paradise, or an earth where those things happen. Those things will always be the removal of good, which is evil, right? And so it is not moralistic to say that Christians strive to be truthful people and feel guilty when we lie and take it to the cross and say, I don't want to be a liar, perceive, or protect me, O Lord, from hidden sins, from the lies I tell myself. We have no problem with that. And we have no problem with applying the wisdom of the scriptures in its natural law to our walk as human beings, nephishes redeemed by the blood of Christ, fully aware that my works will never add to what he has already added. And yet the reason why I would stop doing works could only be my disbelief in what he has already done. This argument is such a red herring. Insular, LCMS. Insular. So, <laughs> sorry. Is that your fault, Matthew? Thank you for the question. I'm not yelling at you at all. Um... So we combat the idea by believing that the law is the law is the law. When God said this is, he means this is. So we cling to that, and then we believe that the gospel is how we're saved. The gospel doesn't save us from the created order. It saves the created order from us. <laughs> and we can just believe it's true. It is saved from us. And now God's like, now these 10 things are kind of how you're supposed to do it. You're not good at it. You'll never be good at it, but you can try. <laughs> and then when you're trying, you can tell other people about how Jesus is risen. And they're going to be like, you're different because you think you can't die. And you're trying in a different way. And it's not about you. And they will know we are Christians by our love. So let's tell everybody to love each other so they know we're Christians. No, that's not it, right? That kills it. You can't institutionalize the word of God more than God has institutionalized it in the scriptures and the sacraments. And you got to trust those things. And then when it speaks, it must speak. So if you're, if you, and Kuhn says it this way, and he's right. Look, if you think that you have to change the way Jesus preached or talked for people to understand what he said, translation's a different thing. Elaboration's a different thing. Talking about changing it, right? Um, shouldn't our preaching sound like the scriptures? period. And shouldn't we like worry less about whether I as a pastor am rightly manipulating law and gospel so much as whether or not I am simply speaking the scriptures as they are and trusting that law and gospel, which both exist there is a particularly glorious light and the distinctions by which we can understand how they impact our spirituality in the present age. Great. But let's not, let's not be wizards that are seeking our own power. Dark magic. Dark magic is that. Bad medicine. Isn't it funny? I was thinking about this. This cup is filled with medicine. Sorry, we're, we're, we're tangenting here again. I need more medicine. I need more of this black liquid gold medicine. Maybe it's not medicine. What is it? I've talked about this before. You know, coffee's a drug. Uh, sugar's a drug. A lot of drugs out there. 
we just have this weird way of thinking that some drugs are bad and some are not. And oxygen's a drug. In fact, I retweeted this today. Who said that? Um, you know, someone's going to make a drug that we can all be on, so we can all be happy all the time, blah, blah, blah. Or that we all need. How long is it until someone invents a drug that we all have to be on all the time? And well, oxygen. God did that. You know, it's been there. And, and, and if you don't believe oxygen is a mind-altering substance, try not breathing for a while. And <laughs> See how it goes, right? Um, so, but the thing about about the drugs that we like to take on our daily walks with life—coffee, soda pop—what um, else would be? I mean, any kind of sugar has going to be a drug, like candy. But uh, um, uh, tobacco, of course, would be in this. Uh, beer, alcohol would be in this in this scenario, right? Any of these things that we take, they tend to be things that will kill us, right? So, I'm drinking coffee. Even though if I drink too much coffee, which I probably do, I know it's really not good for your hypertension over time, and it does slightly increase my risk of heart attack. And, I, and I'm, I'm really trying to be a nutritious person so that I'm decreasing my risk of heart attack, but this is one thing which I haven't done yet. So technically, yes, I'm addicted to a drug called coffee, which could kill me. But the thing is, I would prefer to live my life with the drug than without it. And I don't think it makes me a sinner or not a believer in Jesus. It just means that I find this particular bean to be espressoly did you catch that? Espressoly wonderful. Um, and, and there's nothing really wrong with that, right? But especially if you think about it this way, right? So here's this drug. Oh, I got my cup up. Uh-oh, don't spill it, Fisk. Ah, I got my cup up. Here's the drug that I'm going to take because I like the way it makes me feel, but it's going to kill me, okay? I'm going to die anyway. It's probably not going to be the coffee, but it could, right? All right, so now let's go the other way. Let's say I'm like, I'm me, and uh, I am, I, I've come down with cancer. It's really bad. It's intestinal, like my grandpa's was. And, you know, there's not much you can do. And here are some things, you know, post-colon, still dying, that, you know, I could take to extend my life. Oh, oh, but wait, it all went bad. I lost movement. I can barely move my eyes. I'm on a breathing tube, too. Right? Right. Thank goodness I have a wife, and we have talked about these things. Um. At what point is the drug I'm being put on that's keeping me alive in that moment? It's not killing me like coffee is, but it's prolonging a life that I don't want. What we call medicine? That's what I've been pondering. Now, I think medicine should be the one that's maybe more in the middle. <laughs> um, I don't know that coffee is medicine. It can be, though. Great medicine for a conversation. So it depends on what you mean by the word, right? But I think, I don't know, at least in my own struggle with it, and I, I've, I've faced death for years. That's what pastors do, is we face a lot of death. Um, not our own. Uh, and we learn, we learn how, to, how to deal with it. I'll tell you this. Um, I'd, rather have, I'd rather have the oxygen that I can breathe and the coffee I can drink and die <sighs> content than try to hang on to a life of discontent one second longer than I have to. That's, that's, just, that's just my business. Joel says this. Pastor Fisk from Australia. Awesome. Uh, the issue attacking the Lutheran Church of Australia. Can I, I, I'm not good at this. I want to try anyway, and it's totally offensive. I've offended Australians already this week, I think. Um, I, uh, where was that? It was on Twitter. Maybe not, but it was funny. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't my joke, I don't think. Uh, so, can I do it? The, the issue attacking the Lutheran Church of Australia has taken another turn, and the fight over women's ordination. Now, that sounds like that's like bad Bronx. Oh, terrible Fisk. 
Uh, Australia. I can almost do it. I did watch Crocodile Dundee. It was a good movie. Um, back in the day, at least. Uh, I would appreciate your thoughts on this thing that's, that's tearing up Australia. I should be more serious. This is a really big issue. It's like it's been a fight for years and years. We, there's an old Red Fisk Raw podcast on it. Uh, and uh, the, 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 the amazing idea that the Lutheran Church in Australia says that the future right now is them going women's ordination uh, because that'll make them, what, relevant? Up to date? I mean, it just, it just makes you like the least relevant thing. The only reason you're, you're relevant to anybody who's not you is because you're probably the only ones who don't ordain women. So you're going to give up your one relevance. Huh? <laughs> All right. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at just from it. That's secular. That's, that's branding. That's marketing. You're, 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 it's, it's a really bad decision organizationally. So whatever. Uh, but uh, we won't, let's talk about the theology too, though, right? So a- after considering all the information they had received, here's, here's the thing, right? Uh, uh, to make the task manageable, General Church Board and College of Bishops, and I don't know how any of that works, uh, combine the task to considering three political scenarios while acknowledging that there may be others also. A single Lutheran Church of Australia and New Zealand Synod with one teaching and two practices? Bad idea. A single that Lacan's, you guys got to work on that one. Um, <laughs> uh, a single Lacan's synod with the current teaching upheld. Um, that would be faithful. Multiple Lacan's synods, we can no longer stay together. That would also be faithful, but sad, right? So faithful, but joyous and faithful, but tragic. You, I choose faithful, but either rather than unfaithful, which is to pretend you're a church when you're not straight up. And hey, LCMS, we got our own demons divide on this one too. So I am not going to point a finger. Uh, and I'm, I'm I, <laughs> mad and black sheep as I am, LCMS, I'm yours. You got to kick me out. I'm just going to say I'm crazy. <laughs> so, hey, uh, we got our own demons to work with on this one. Uh, pun maybe not even intended. Uh, it's very clear that pretending a disagreement doesn't exist that is substantial at a first principle level and that to say it's just the same as other disagreements that are not substantial is a denial of the order of truth itself, that hierarchy is in fact real, that you make judgments, that you have things you believe are good and things you believe are evil. To reject that at the essence of your organization is to destroy itself, because now it will need to seek a new identity to be, which is neither of those ideas. This is, again, secular talk. I'm not talking Bible right now. This is straight-up market management and business management. You will have two identities. Neither of them can be in charge, so a third will emerge and nobody will be happy. That is the straight-up reality of mission creep. That is the straight-up reality of good to great. You can go read about it. This is plain stupid if you vote number one. You're voting to end the church body very slowly with more pain for everybody. That's the vote. Straight up. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It really doesn't matter what the issue is. If it's a biblical issue, it doesn't matter. If it is a biblical issue and you're at that point, then number one is the devil's answer. Number two, or number three is God's answer. Number three is God's answer. You split up. Honestly. This ain't divorce. This is not like actual marriage. It is, and it's a reflection of it, but it is not so in that we are commanded to remain among false teachers. There's no such teaching in the Bible. None. Flee them, it says. So there's no question. If you can get to the table with a false teacher and they're like, you're a false teacher. I'm like, okay, I think you would say that. That makes sense since I think you're one. Great. This means we're different. This means for the benefit of both of us, we should separate it. Why don't we try to, with some honesty, which will be difficult since we both think the other person is a liar, why don't we try with some honesty to manage the the investments that we have as an organization so as to do the least amount of damage to everybody who's not you and me? Let's work on that as our plan together, right? Then you can split faithfully even though one of you is heterodox and one of you is orthodox. Sadly, heterodoxy prefers to move toward heresy and usually won't allow that option. 
It would be too honest. And they need to justify themselves by their works so they can't be honest about a disagreement. They just have to shut you down. So, a single Lacan Synod with the current teaching upheld. What's going to happen is this. I'm not a prophet. I just know history. Echo. So, give me, give me what, a margin of error, 15%. I'm not foretelling the future. I'm reading the past. They're going to vote for number one. Because people are cowards. And don't want to face conversations that are hard. It's understandable. We're all filled with shame and vulnerable. And everyone else hurts us. So, we're going to vote for number one, right? That's what will happen. And then, eventually, number three will happen. So that number two, the little synod will come out. So the new thing, which isn't really the women's ordination machine, but the third power that, that creates itself to be above you both, that will eventually drive out the faithful and you'll have to create a new synod anyway. So as it is, I think in almost every Lutheran church body in the world, although I only know really about the white ones right now, I'd be curious to see the other ones that we planted that have some of the same problems as it is with all of them. Uh, it would seem that retaining the current structure and size is an impossibility because the disagreements are such that they have impacted first principle issues of the scriptures. What do I know? I'm crazy. I'm just a guy in a closet. I'm not in a closet. I'm in a basement in Cambodia. Sometimes. At my congregation here, I don't know if this will even happen, but I'm going to keep talking about it because I think it's the only answer. We're trying to fix our constitution, which was built for a much larger congregation. It's so big, we just can't possibly manage it. It, it. it is impossible. We're trying to find ways to hobble along until we can replace it. And this is because of institutional collapse, that we had to catch ourselves, land financially, and now figure out what does that mean. And the old way was there would be like three, at least, maybe five, different meetings with different people throughout the month that the pastor and some staff and maybe another couple lady would have to go to all of them. And then in three months, we'd have one meeting at which nobody would trust anybody who was at those meetings. <laughs> That's our governance. Oh, for pity's sake, we wonder why we can't get anything done. We know about policy. It's about trust. So here's what I suggest. I said, guys, okay, so we're, we're at like, like square one right now, right? Like we've, we've really, uh, COVID really put the dagger in, um, hoping that that constitution could even pretend to be hobbled on because uh, it broke for a couple months. And, and, not entirely. The elders remained, obviously. Everything continued going. We made motions and votes, but it, it just, anything beyond the absolute bare necessity to keep the organization existent legally uh, is just not happening. But everything else that should be good is happening. The church is actually growing. We've got visitors that are coming during COVID, which is crazy. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, a, a, the teaching is getting uh, more and more, I would call it dynamic, that is engaging. That is, if you're there week to week, you're going to be developing a maturity in your faith that you will be able to demonstrate to yourself and to others. Um, and I, I would even submit to you that you could test me on this, and you should, and you should question me if I don't provide those results as your pastor. Um, so, uh, 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 oh, I went so far off on it, and now I lost the end again. Oh, um, so, uh, 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 oh, right, here it is. Uh, so the only way that ever really happens that we break the trust, the distrust, is here at the bottom where we want to build. Rather than try to harness ourselves with something that didn't work before, we have to try what the Bible says. We got to talk to each other. Like, we got to get together. 
like getting mad and stuff. So what I'm suggesting is so we, like we start with having, I don't know if this will happen. I don't know if it'll happen, but I think it'd be really good. I think it should happen either way, everywhere. The congregations need to have one, one day a month after church where they get together and they talk about what's going on. Not with a meeting that has like none of this. Like, hey, why? Hey, what about? Hey, I have an idea. Like, you want the suggestion box? Don't have a suggestion box. Talk. How little do Christians talk to other Christians at their church? And all the efforts that we have to try to make people come to church so that they can talk. What if you got together and talked about what you're doing? <laughs> it might have an impact as opposed to these five different meetings scattered across busy nights and all that. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway, that's what you guys need to do is talk. And it won't happen at a convention, unfortunately. They're not made for that. They're not made for that. They're made for people who don't trust each other to wrestle over the power structure of the institution. And so you must expect that the zeitgeist, which will always be active in the church through hypocrites and liars whose consciences are seared, and the scriptures say this so clearly that to deny it makes you practically not a Christian, um, and you're surely, clearly not believing your Lord, um, uh, that is always going to be present. And where are they going to put their fingers? They can't put their fingers on the word of God. They can't really do it. They can put their fingers on the money, though, and they can use that, and they will, because that's who their God is. That's who they think God is. Hmm. You can't serve God and mammon. Jesus makes it very clear the Pharisees serve mammon. Uh, they, they serve the money. And so the hypocrisy in the church will veer toward the institutions because the institutions do not need the word of God necessarily to survive. They survive as organizations under you know, U.S. law. As long as they can continue to do that, they will continue to survive. And I'm not calling them all the same place. Some of them are very faithful at this point, at least in my church body. So that's not what I'm saying, right? But I'm saying that the institutions are more vulnerable. And your congregation's structure within, say, the voters' assembly is vulnerable to liars whose consciences are seared. And you should expect it to be. Which is why, rather than being able to outvote them, you want to be able to outconverse them, or even convert them <laughs> through a conversation. Talk them into it. There's a free book by me about that. You could use it for a lot of things, but it's geared to help you talk about Jesus to others so that you can. Because don't you want to? I mean, he's your king. He's ascended, right? He changed your life. Did he not? He will. That's the promise. That's Christianity. Why do we not talk about this more? Uh, the TV right on our brains this way. So um, uh, we, we've gone through all our questions for the morning. We are definitely past time. Y'all rock totally for hanging out this long. Um, I don't know. I'm going to do a little comments here. I don't know what that means at all, which is cool. Uh, let's see. Anyone who hasn't yet talked yet. Oh, poor mom monster can't do coffee. Yep. You know, my, my wife has a similar issue. And I one day my gut might tell me, Jonathan. But until then, the black gold is the black gold. Um, uh, Cafe Sola says, I drink Swiss water processed decaf. You know, I've been, I've been leaning toward that and it is better for you. Uh, I need to do that in the afternoons. The thing is I've gotten so frustrated with the process of making coffee and this is my lazy. This is really, this is not sin, I guess, but it is. It's just my, my, my non-dutifulness, um, or my, my, my sloth. I should call it my sloth, uh, that Costco sells these canned coffees, Kirkland brand coffee. And this is their, their bean that they sell too. I don't know how they make it. It's from China or whatever, you know, um, probably got pesticides all over it, all sorts of stuff, but it comes canned <laughs> and it tastes like great coffee and you chill it. and It's amazing. And I've been so lazy. I've been going to that when I really do prefer the bean, uh, freshly ground. I really love a good espresso, oh, a great shot of espresso, but it's so much work. And similarly then, you know, your decaf, you, you always really have to do ground. Uh, if you want to get the flavor out of it, unless you like the battery acid in the can that goes in the freezer called Folgers, um, which many people 
do for some reason. And then they think that that's not a mind altering chemical. So that's like a body altering chemical. Um, ah, well, we'll, we'll let the, uh, us, the chills, uh, slice through the rest of the comments from this week and we'll pick them up for next week as well. Uh, I want to keep talking just cause I love doing this show. I love talking to you. I love that you listen. I love that you're thinking. I love that you keep asking these questions. I love that the word of God is not leaving you void. And the fact that mad Christianity is about that and about being unembarrassed, unashamed, invulnerable as a Christian with regards to your faith. And if me being a fool for you about Jesus can get you just an inch more of foolishness in your own life, so that name and that truth, he is risen, you are paid for, you cannot die now, he's coming again anyway, uh, he won't be long anyway, if that just starts popping out in corners, then we've done our job and uh, frankly, the growth curve that we're on is going to go like this. And it's not about the brand. It's not about the brand. Everything that the brand gets till my dying day, it is my intention to turn back into production of the brand in order to create, well, faith. Yours. Uh, Mine. I need it too. Hey, friends. Uh, Don't wallow in the muck. I gotta look at what I'm even looking at. Well, I don't have an easy way to do this. To edit. I still don't do this. Here's my problem now. Now I know the show works without me fixing things. Like, I, I don't have to go back and find this. I just have to make the same mistake every week, and it'll be okay. Oh, I'm getting the cramp in my foot. So, um, I know where I gotta go now. Uh, it should have been something like this. So, what I'm saying is, since you are convinced that the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened in time and space, that there indeed are alien beings in the world, this one, a war between light and darkness going on behind us in which the lies of the devil seek to use every bit of mammon that it can to blind you to that reality to make you forget to turn you into a zombie who's not awake, who's not aware, who does not have the spirit on that Jesus had. But you do now. You know, it's been given. You are paid for. You are immortal. He is coming soon anyway. So don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope, but lift up your eyes and all the more as you see the day approaching. Right on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?